is Steegcast. You're going to love it. Excuse me. Welcome to uh, Start Stegen, Steegcast. Skype special, do well, it's actually double barreling as a Skype special. This is the second episode on Skype that we're doing that was also available on YouTube, but it's also going to be canon with our usual uh, podcast series as episode seven of season two. Um, so this will also go out on um, some of the streaming platforms that we usually are on, like Podbean and uh, Spotify and Apple and all that. So if you're listening on there, apologies um, for confusing you. Yeah, basically, this is episode seven of season two. Um, yeah, and it's all about movies. Um, we're and, gonna keep it like just, just a quick disclaimer as well. The audio might not be as crisp as we usually do it, just because we're all doing this remotely. That's a very, very good. Yeah. Point. We can do it. We're making the best of the situation. Yeah, yeah if you're watching on if you're watching on YouTube, then ten out of ten. If you're listening on one of the regular streaming platforms, you may notice a massive drop in quality, for which I could only apologise. Um, so we're still in the COVID nineteen lockdown. It's in April, end of April now. So um, it's April the twenty sixth. Yeah. So, um, what's been going before we get into this light-hearted topic of movies? Because we had serial killers and a bunch of heavy shit before that. Um, what's been going with the Stigs? What is Kim Jong Un's dead son? <laughs> Are you a I'm going to talk about that, and I've been googling it. Is it's that actually true? I don't know. I don't know. It's just rumored at the moment. Probably Didn't be you on a train, no? Didn't you get on a train? <laughs> train see, I've, I've been on Reddit pretty much flat out the last two days, and I, I didn't see anything. Anything at all regarding this? I, I literally just found out today from a work colleague. I, I, you haven't said anything about this. It's, it's, it's not I was just... waiting for this moment to, to launch it. Just wondering uh, what uh, the reaction would be. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know oh, if yeah. it was true either. Still Is don't. it true though? Is he dead? Yeah, so I'm, uh, yesterday Roger. he was bad, like in a bad way he was. Kenny Rogers. State. What? Kenny Rogers. <laughs> So we're Hi. talking about Kim Jong Un, the um, dic- dictator oh, leader of uh, North Korea. Kenny Rogers is, oh God rest his soul. But he uh, died today, didn't he, Kenny Rogers. Huh? Did he die today, Kenny Rogers? Oh, um, three weeks ago. Oh. It's ironic, yeah. though, because the doctor of Kim Jong Un is now in the danger zone. Oh, it's Kenny Loggins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, wrong one, wrong one. Danger zone. <laughs> Man, I, man, I, I, man. I admire your Kenny Penson, but uh, unfortunately, he's the wrong Kenny. Kenny Rogers is a singer, isn't he? I don't know. Awesome. Fucking Cowboy of the County. What does he sing? Many songs of The Gambler, Coward of the County, oh, um, oh Islands in the Stream with Dolly Parton. The, um, the Gambler has uh, been on a few of our, uh, our playlists that we do for our Euro trips. I think it was me put on it. Actually. Yeah, someone puts it in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. So, um, yeah, what's going on? What's going on? I mean, any, any uh, lockdown-related developments happened to yourselves in the last uh, last couple of weeks since we last spoke? Clearly, it's not been too long since we spoke, luckily. About two weeks, I think, haven't it? Thereabouts? It's been too long since we spoke. Um, what is Richard drinking, by the way? <laughs> Good question. I'm what are you drinking? drinking? The ever classic banana bread beer. That I, I thought it was. Yeah. They've rebadged it, you fool. They've kind of like rebranded and rebadged it since uh, the glory days, haven't they? I'm a big fan of like the, you know clean logos, you know, like that style. Um, mm. But like I don't know about fucking blurry background. But yeah, 
but the old banana bread beer logo was much better it than was this. Much when it was Wells, yeah, when it was Wells rounded. Yeah, it was classier. It just it was, gave yeah. off, you know, a better vibe. Not that I, I think why they thought the need to change it. Why did they change it? Because they changed brands. I just thought they mix it up. I guess. Like, yeah, it's it's a new, cheaper to print, is it? New brewery, isn't it? So, I guess they kept we, the same, um, like same, same design, just cartoon, cartoonized more. I guess. So, we won a competition, though, if you remember, um, on Instagram. Was it? We won a competition with uh, banana bread beer, to, to, like a uh, kind of like a fan photo, I guess. And we had all like banana pops and whatnot, and bottles and things, and. Yeah, and we, we won it, and they sent us some goodies, if I remember. They did, that they did. Yeah. Got some beer cozies, beer cozies and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Yards and things, and yeah, it was pretty cool. I brought loads of cozies back for me from Thailand, and I never used them in this country. <laughs> they are really handy. They just, I never, ever use them, ever. It seems to be a thing you see with American bands, like they have like, beer cozies, you know. I've always wanted a cemetery rapist beer cozy, you know, <laughs> really make my uh, craft beer pop. Um, <laughs> but speaking of craft, I'm drinking the um, Jupe, Jupe, I don't know how you say it, apologies to anyone who's Belgian, Dutch or Flemish or uh, Wallonian, I've probably fucked the spelling of that, but it's like a brown, brun beer. Where have you got nice. it from, sir? I got it from beersofeurope.com. Oh, okay, okay. um, they only had a bunch of dark beers in stock. Because you know how nice it's been outside, I ordered nothing but dark beer and stout, as I said last time, because I'm an idiot. Hello, I've just put a lovely big order in with cloud water, um, but it haven't come because UPS are fucking lying scum. Um, they said that they couldn't get into my property because I didn't have an access code. It was supposed to be delayed on, delivered on Friday, so I don't know what the fuck's happened. But um, I'm going to ring them tomorrow and see what's going on. But we're supposed to have a nice big tasty cloud water, 10, ten tall boys of cloud water goodness. Um, to uh to have on this cast but i'm drinking my belgian stock instead odd life in it really is yeah. also got this um no doubt when i get deep in i got some uh, highland park 12 years old highland park away. 12 years old <laughs> yeah so blanche, like, uh, blanche de brussels or blanche de Namur? what are you on blanche blanche de Namur, but there's in a blanche brussels um glass like a frosted glass it's lovely glass lovely so lovely which i bought in uh I bought this in in in. Well, I bought this in Brussels, possibly. You did. Yeah. What was that lovely shop with all the glasses and the wall and everything? Yeah, that beer shop. There's hundreds of them. There's a big yeah. one, isn't it? It's a beer warehouse or beer museum warehouse or some shit. I can't think what it's called. It was the one where they got the hat too, as well. Yeah, it's actually hideously old. As, as amazing as that shop is, they are gouging you on tourist prices. I kept picking oh things up, going, "Oh my god, look at this! This is amazing! I could totally buy this in Hopdoodle in five days' time for half the price." But I'll just. <laughs> Keep putting it in my basket. Walked out of there with like yeah. fifteen beers. That's what we. That's what we did. Yeah. I think when we more experienced into our trip, burner, that's what we started doing. Then to be uh, fair, they had a lot of glasses there, like a lot of glasses there that you wouldn't every, find in. Every, uh, every you'd have to you'd have to nick them from pubs basically if you wanted them. There's those incredible, sort of, incredible glass selection. Incredible. It's a thing in Belgium, isn't it? That every beer has its own glass. Yeah, it must yeah. be a nightmare running a bar. You know what happens? Like, so they seem to have two or three of each glass for each beer. What if you got three people drinking, maybe not Chimay, maybe something really obscure, right? And it's it's flying off the shelves. What do you do when all three glasses are out? I think you know they give I mean? you a similar. I think it's happened to me actually. Yeah. I think they give you a yeah. similar one. Just a similar one, really. That's unacceptable. Everyone gets. I'm sure that. it's happened. I'm sure it's happened. Yeah, it happened to be a central in Antwerp. 
Yeah. And Beer Central is a shambles with respect. Don't they have their own glasses though, Beer Central? Don't they? Or they have all different? No, they have all different ones. They, they do have all different, different ones. But if you if they don't have the glass for the beer, they'll give you their own glass. Uh, and now that's a good idea. See, they got yeah. you covered. They got you covered. What are you drinking, Tom? <laughs> I got a lovely um, Pepsi Max. I got a couple of lemons in there. Banging. Look at all those lovely here. lemons. I think I nicked it off my brother. So don't tell him. And I got um, H2O in a metal container. I bought this metal container uh, probably off Amazon about uh, oh, maybe a year ago, maybe six months ago. It's great for keeping the liquid nice and cold on a warm day. <laughs> Keeps your hot things hot, your cold things cold, is it so? Don't put squash in it though. It kind of taints it a bit and you've got to clean it out proper good then afterwards. Yeah. So I've got a similar device for putting coffee in. And uh, <laughs> if you do anything other than black coffee then it just bungs of milk even if i use like oat milk and stuff it just stinks it howling it's really it's you can't get a smell out of it it's, it's just can't do it it can't be done funny story done. i ordered a bottle off amazon and uh, <laughs> and uh, an actual baby bottle came <laughs> oh maybe me i, I didn't tommy tippy oh, yeah, so just, just didn't cross my mind i actually filled it up so i did use it i was like this this doesn't this ain't going right like you know and I had to dispose of that on him. I could have, I would have had it off you, but yeah, yeah, you could have. <laughs> I got a, a glut of uh, Tommy Tippies knocking around you, ready Stop for the little, little squid. Yeah, Christ, I <laughs> can't knock them over, son. See, they knock them over and they don't come out. This, this really is a fantastic design. It truly is. Hence the name, Tommy Tippy. Makes sense though, a beer, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, you could drink beer out of Tommy Tippy. Good night. You won't, you know, if you drop it, it's not. You don't lose any precious amber nectar. Um, ah, so anyway, on, on, if, if, yeah, if you <laughs> branded uh, Tommy Tippies will be a couple. <laughs> <laughs> comment below. <laughs> Most deft. Yeah. Probably do a Steecast Taco glass if you can get them done in low enough quantities. But it's hard to find. A, a, um, you know, Taco glasses like the the diamond shaped wine glasses beer snobs yeah. drink out of. I know. Um, I know. So yeah. That might be worth looking into. I don't know. I've well, looked a few times. It's tough. To it's get it's hard to get a low. I remember Pop and Hops telling me it's really hard to get them in low quantities. I think he had like 50 done with Pop and Hop written on it. I think I was as low as you could get it. I mm. might be wrong on the number, but it, it, he you know, managed to bring it down. Place who Swansea does them. Anyway, I digress. Um, so the topic of today's podcast slash video um, cast is um, my neighbors looking at me like I'm a total fruit. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like no but what it what what it is it's um movies um it is simply movies just to keep it like i we touched on it a little bit um in the last cast so basically what we're gonna do is each of us have brought three films in died three uh 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 three films into the steve cast today um not necessarily favorite films there might be i don't know the reasons why everyone's picked their films um, in my case, it's just films I want to talk about, um, or I hope that others in the Steecast would watch. Now, even though we've had another two-month delay to the original air date of this podcast, not everyone has seen every one of these films, um, which is fair enough. I'm absolutely fucking abysmal myself at the air Christ in things. I always put off watching things all of the time. I'm awful for it. Um, but I do believe in a, in a really strange twist of fate. I am the only person here that has seen all the films on today's list, which is bizarre, because I'm usually the one that has seen fuck all, unless some really dodgy fucking trauma film. Um, so, yeah, um, 
basically what we're going to do is we'll just go around, I think, one by one, take it in turns till all three films from each person is done. And um, and then we'll do the honourable mentions. And I got a little fucking ridiculously stupid quiz, um, you know, to bring it back to old school Steve cast uh, just to finish off. Nice. That's, um, that's my plan. And totally unintentional. Uh, I know no one's gone on, on the list, but we, we should pro- probably natter about that for a little bit as well. About what, sorry? Oh, yeah, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Yeah. I did a very scathing video review for this, for the Steakcast, which has not been made public. Um, I think we have contrasting opinions on the room. Check it up, son. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen the room twice, and I never want to see it again. Exactly. My, it is one time... <laughs> Two times too many. The one I can't believe I sat through it the second time. I don't I know actually, why. I actually had a headache watching it. That's the it's the only film that's given me a headache watching. <laughs> it, it just feels like eternity, doesn't it? It yeah. really does. It never really ends. Does. Never ends. And, like, and with them, we watched the Disaster Artist as well. Then see, I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was good. Film. That was good. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was good. I wouldn't want to watch that either, to be honest. <laughs> I know the story now. Um but Greg is it Greg Sistero? Is that his name? Yeah. Um I think he's written a book. I wouldn't mind reading that. You know, for some actual first hand like a biography. Yeah. It's like his biography of how how, how he made it in made it in Hollywood. The, and obviously the, 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 the main the main, the main um the main skepticism was around it was where was Tommy was so getting his money from? Yeah. How old was he really? Where's he from? Uh, I think his name and his age have been made public. I can Google that. But his uh, where his actual homeland and his money are still a mystery. Yeah, his uh, birthplace, as Tom said, where from? Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, Austria. Something he's a bit Austrian or Polish or something like that. Um, no one knows. No one I want to Google him, but I I don't. I think. I probably would give incorrect information. There were rumours he got his money through leather, uh, leather works, was it like um, like jackets and things? I think it was. I heard that it was a really rich, um, like what's the opposite of sugar daddy when it's a sugar mommy, sugar mommy, I guess, sugar mom, sugar mom. Yeah. So yeah, it was um, a very rich elderly lover that um, bankrolled him. He was a again, it, all this just uh, yeah, he was a toy boy. All this just adds to the ridiculous reputation and mystery around the surrounding it's him. I don't know if any of this is true. In this day and age, to remain anonymous like that, in a way, it is. That's why people uh, saying that there's some people who say that yeah, there's a criminal element to his past. Um, that's why it's like hard to dig out. Um, if he was a convicted yeah, criminal, obviously everyone would know who he was by now. Yeah. By it's bizarre. It really is. There was a it was a, a scene which was cut from the room. Um, well, it's cut from the script. They weren't even filmed. Where in the end, he flies off in his car. Yeah. And <laughs> Isn't he meant to be a vampire? Sea, yeah, he's a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, if he was a vampire, I think it would have been better. Might have displayed <laughs> yeah. his really. It would have explained his really strange behavior. Possibly, you know, if he's a new vampire coming to grips with, you know, not lycanthropy. What do they call it? What what they call the vampiric disease? Vampirism. Vampirism. I, th- I got a feeling it's a throppy in there somewhere. <laughs> like a throppy is the werewolf, werewolf one. Bollocks. I can't remember. Never mind. Probably in uh, Elder Scrolls somewhere. Uh, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. I think it's just vampirism. I think it is. 
That sounds like the only, that's the only thing I can think of. I spent a lot of time dueling with a vampire clans of Morrowind, and I can't for the life of me remember the uh, the correct name. There's a disease. Uh, maybe it's just an Elder Scrolls disease. Forget it. Forget it. Anyway, um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. The room. Um, I don't really know what to say about the room. One time too many. Lovely love making scenes as well. Very sensual. Um, Same stunning. one used twice. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Looks like he's fucking. Thrusted into a midsection. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know if that's like a, a piss take, but there's there's a lot of films where sex scenes are so, quite obviously fake. Um, with things just don't line up at all. But like that is beyond like you know what I mean, beyond a joke, man. But yeah, they need to get HBO's intimacy coordinator in on there and get it all there. Uh, all all sort. It is since HBO's the deuce. Um, HBO now have a intimacy coordinator um, for sex scenes. It was something I think they probably should have done in Game of Thrones, but from the deuce, uh, because it was a lot of like, it's based on the porn industry. So there's a lot of porn scenes in there. Um, you know how much HBO love throwing in unnecessary nudity just to make people watch their TV shows. Um, but then, yeah, they some of the staff were like, not complained, but they were like, you know, we really need someone coordinating all this simulated sex for not only for you know make it look more realistic but to make sure everyone involved is comfortable and you know it's no like one's being exploited and all the rest of it it's, it's a little like, bit pc gone mad but at the same time i see why it exists you know what i mean it's like the professional version of a fluffer <laughs> not really though <laughs> if the fluffer made you uh sign a waiver first and then i mean yeah i don't fucking know Pro- what i'm talking proper about. harvey weinstein one like well, it's, I think it's it's a product of stuff like that, really, isn't it? You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, like say, um, you do an interview for a film and you're like a 19-year-old girl and you're like, oh, yeah, there might be some nudity involved in this role. And she's like, yeah, no worries, guess the job. And then she goes to the set and then there's like the director's like, right, so I want you starkers bent over that fucking rock and smashed in by Carl Drogo. Um, and she goes, wait a minute, this ain't in the script. This ain't even in the fucking book. Um, but then they go, nah, we'll check it in anyway. It looks really cool. And all your titties will be flopping around and that. You know, at that point, they could, the intimacy coordinator goes, no, 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 no. This... This shit's it fucked a, up. There was a porno lawsuit over there that I read up on the other day, funny enough. Well, because someone keeps uploading that Carl Drogo clip to Pornhub. Oh, no, no, no. That, like that, they just uh, lure people in under false pretenses. I guess dark this conversation does, but uh, yeah, they lure people in under false pretenses and they uh, they do what you just said, pretty much. Yeah, watch the deuce <laughs> watch there's some really good documentary on netflix i can't remember what it's called but it shows you how people get not exploited by porn because they they come into the porn industry willingly they don't they're not like the whole like oh they come over here they don't know they think they're going to be secretaries and they end up blowing guys in parking lots i'm sure that happens but what i mean with the gen- the general porn industry girls get into it thinking oh i'm gonna do like cam shows or you know maybe some girl girl stuff and then it just shows how they get not tricked but kind of like pushed into doing more and more and more extreme stuff in order just to stay relevant just to stay getting paid because like you know everyone's into mad shit these days so you know they have one to do day, like, what one day sean i'm gonna go through every episode of steve cast and see how many times you mention someone getting carl drogo in, <laughs> in, in <laughs> there's been a few times you've mentioned that it's, it's a good metaphor for a necessary I don't know, unnecessary rogering, I guess. sex scenes, you mean? It's completely unnecessary. Yeah. It really is. In in every sense of the way. It doesn't add anything to that scene or to that story at all. I don't know. <laughs> I think it kind of does. It shows that he's kind of 
dominating her at the start and then she rises up and then she's like this badass on the back of a dragon at the end and should we should we move on to the first film probably yeah. a good idea i won't go first because i've talked for ages so i will pass off i don't know who wants to go first this this doing a circle but we'll go do you want to um, go family friendly or go on gareth's got everything written down all nice and prepped do you want to go first guy one of your movies family friendly you say you got some with due respect, I, I don't think you can get much family friendly than some of the films I've mentioned this evening. <laughs> uh, what have you got uh, there for? Example, I'll put the mic down for two minutes let someone else talk. For example, uh, one of my films of choice uh, is the is possibly one of the most famous comedy slash Christmas era films of all time. I don't think there's anybody on earth that doesn't know this film. Home Alone. Yeah. You, I assume you're familiar with that. That's it. Just, uh, top family film. The John, the John, the John, the John who's, the John who's, um, John who's uh, directed uh, comedy Home Alone, uh, starring uh, Macaulay Culkin. Uh, also, my favorite actor of all time, John Candy, has a minor role, but it's a key role within the film that brings actually brings the entire story together. Was John Candy is responsible for getting um, Kevin's mother. Obviously, back home to her son uh, in time for Christmas. So I think he's a key player, despite only having a small part in there. What does he do? How does he do it? He plays John Candy plays the role of Gus Polinski. Now Gus Polinski, he had a hit, a few hits out a couple of years ago. Uh, polka, polka, polka twist, Damaguji polka. Um, I thought you may have heard of him, but uh, yeah, he's he's had a few hits out in in a polka band um, with uh, Gus Polinski and the Kenosha Kickers. So. Whilst Kevin's mother is in the airport, um, this this I'm going way too far. I should have explained the film, but anyway, whilst Kevin's mother's in the airport, she meets John Candy's character of Gus Polinski. He introduces himself. He says, "I heard you was having a bit of trouble," and she explains, "Yeah, I need to go home to see my son or whatever." He says, "Me and the band are passing that way." She jumps in the back of the. It's a huge. It's not even. It's not even a tour bus. It's like a massive like delivery lorry, basically a container. And they just all sat in the back of there, and they're all like, doo, 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 doo. and and that's well, it. They give her a ride home, and they give her a ride home, and she's home in time to to see Kevin. Uh, but, is that uh, the one with Donald Trump? Donald Trump's in the second one. Whoa. But uh, yeah, but the, I mean, the, the main story is it's uh, it's the McAllister family. It's it's the nights before they got to do to go on their Christmas vacation. Yeah, you're me out. Yeah, you're all familiar with this. Yeah. They're having a they're having dinner and stuff. They're having a pizza. Now, um, Kevin's pizza, this is a, a major part in the storyline. Kevin's pizza gets eaten by his older brother, Buzz. And Buzz is all like, if you want your pizza back, someone's going to have to barf it all up. And he's all like, and he's all like, you know, he's shoving it down, big fat slob, greedy. Kevin <laughs> charges at him. It causes a huge scene. He obviously barfs it all up and stuff. Stuff gets spilled everywhere. Huge family dispute. Uncle Frank says, look what you did, you little jerk. Fuller gets squished up against the chair, then you've seen that bit. Kevin gets sent to his room, which is the third floor, which is where his, uh, his cousin, who's actually Kevin's, um, Macaulay Culkin's brother in real life. Uh, but yeah, he gets sent to the third floor. So, obviously, for being naughty. Next morning, Kevin gets up, his entire family has disappeared. Are you, are you with me that far? I am indeed. Yeah, he's got terrible parents. Um, his dad's a terrible, terrible person. But but what happens? What happens that morning then, though, is as Kevin gets up and stuff. You know, he sees his family disappeared. But uh, the family got up. There was a head count um, 
Wednesday when on the vacation in in the minibuses. Now a nosy kid from across the street comes over and starts sitting in the van, and he's all like, "This is our automatic transmission. This is our four wheel drive," and he's asking all questions like that. So when one of um, Kevin's relatives is counting, she obviously counts the heads in there, and she assumes that's Kevin. And the kids like rummaging through bags and talking to the driver and whatnot. So that's that's the plot line in terms of of how he's not accounted for then in terms of not being left, you know, being left on the plane without him. What's that? Sorry. Did the family get on the plane without him? It's when they, it's because when they get off the plane, they realise he's missing, which is bizarre. On the right? other side. No, the, the, other the side. Sec- it's the second one where he's running after his dad in the airport. That's not the cause conclusion. Uh, that's my dad. Yeah, there's his court. There's my dad. That's the is, second is one. Is John Hurd the dad in the second one as well? I haven't seen the second one for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, time. yeah. He's um, the, the late great. Um, yeah, I miss John Hurd. Yeah, so. He gets left behind, basically, in the house. He's home alone or whatever. Uh, in that time, the wet bandits are scouting out the house, which is obviously uh, Joe Pesky and Daniel Stern, the wet bandits. They're scouting his house out. Uh, one night, they appear there, thinking that the McAllisters have gone on holidays. Um, Kevin does a little bit of trickery with some like cardboard cutouts. You know, that scene, of course you do. And and, and he kind of he, 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 he steers them off for, for the evening with a, with a bit of a bit of trickery. Uh, they come back again, I think the second time, uh, through the cat flap, he sticks his head the cat flap. Kevin uses a an old gangster movie um, to, obviously, to, to, to get them gone again. Uh, it's the There's kind a of... a pub uh, quiz question for you now. What's the name of that movie? Angels with Dirty Souls, isn't it? Or Filthy Souls? And then the second I one... I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like that, but, but, um, it's kind of like, um, AC said you got some dough for me. How much do I owe you? AC said 10%. Too bad AC ain't in charge no more. Is that a fact? You know, and it's like, <laughs> leave her on the doorstep and get the hell out of here. And then, uh, the, the, you know, Snakes. I'm sure, I'm sure I know that name, Snakes. He's like, and then and then off we go. Then he's got like all bangers and firecrackers and stuff going off, haven't he? And um, yeah, so then that's them gone again. But then I think they kind of click on then. Kevin is home alone. They click on he's home alone. And then. Obviously, they come back then, and he's fucking ready for them. Then, excuse my language, he's ready for them. Or then he's got all the traps set up. Fucking like, ready for them. <laughs> what, what would otherwise, right? This is the thing. What would otherwise class as extreme violence? Yeah, it is very it, extreme it, violence. Somehow, slapstick <laughs> comedy. <laughs> this, so, if this was anything else, like a saw film or something, right? <laughs> it would be extreme violence. But because it's Home Alone, he's slapstick comedy. Sorry, and he's going up the head, stairs. You know, Changes me out every time. We go up the stairs and that thing flies down and fuck. That's so rough. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't remember what, what hits him in the eye. Head. I don't know. It's grim. There's this uh, YouTube channel that actually recreated all of the stunts in uh, Home Alone, the the traps, to see how deadly they actually were and how how and uh, some of them are like the, the one on the stairs, for example. That would just snap your neck. You, you'd, yeah, be dead. you'd be dead um, instantly. But the did you, have, did you have like me- medic medical people saying like what um, injuries you'd have and stuff, weren't it? Yeah, from from yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah I've like, seen that. I've seen that. And then they were trying to recreate them. So like they were the doorknob one where they heat the door. He heats the doorknob up and he, he burns his hand yeah. on the doorknob. You would have to have a tremendous amount of heat to heat that doorknob to the level to burn your hand, basically. There's no way you could have done that, you know. I've got brass doorknobs. We should try it. Yeah. Why the hell are you just like a chicken? Remember that? Remember that bit? He's like, <laughs> um, yeah, carry on, guy. But um, no, I, I mean, 
that's more that's more or less the plot obviously then uh they come back kevin's ready for him and stuff um there's various different uh uh traps and booby traps and whatnot um old man marley then um from next door then he comes in when kevin's like hung up on the door and, and he's like i'm gonna break his fingers i'm gonna all this kind of stuff for every says joe pesky in it shovels over the heads of rekindles the friendship then with with the neighbor who kevin was previously terrified of if you remember kevin used to be terrified of the neighbor he's a very he puts his hand down on the individual counter in the shop and then kevin runs away obviously because he's so scared he ended up stealing a toothbrush Jimmy, stop that boy. You know what I mean? I, I can act this film out. I could literally <laughs> act this from start to finish, but we don't want that. Nobody wants that. So, um, yeah, but um, that is Home Alone, really, essentially. And as I said then, moving on then to the, obviously the family realise Kevin's not there. Um, the dad goes his separate ways with the rest of the family, but then the mother is, she's trying to get home to Kevin quickly as possible. John Candy, Gus Perlinski, gives her a right home. Uh, they arrive home. Uh, there's a scene then where, where the father goes, honey, watch this. And it's obviously one of the gold tooth, which isn't again, a prominent little, uh, bit of, bit of iconography within the film, the, the gold tooth in it, which has obviously come out and the, and the father finds it on the floor. Then he, at the end, and he says, honey, watch this. And this it was the gold tooth on it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that, that's, that's the basic plot and outline of it. I mean, everyone in, I assume enjoys Home Alone, whether they don't want to admit it or not, but, um, yeah so, so why why is it a film that you like really enjoy what what why does it appeal to you so much i just think it's 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 so universally loved and and well known that it's uh it's impossible to hate against tom alone how can you how can you possibly go oh that's a terrible film you know oh it's terrible terrible you, you can't everyone likes home alone um it's very enjoyable i think it's a pioneer of um that era as well that's that's an era that's gone now you don't get stuff like that the john hughes yeah. classic friendly family comedies you don't get nothing like that no more you don't you, you, you don't get it gonna log into imdb to see if there's any really low reviews for home alone just to see what I'm people have said i'm surprised to be honest with you it's a family love favorite i'll see if it's, i can find one now i guess <laughs> the tomatoes would be a good you can put on time and time yeah. again and just enjoy it's, it's fantastic it's one of my favorite films as i said i more or less know the script from start to finish um my favorite films of all time. I like other John Hughes films. I like other films. John Candy's my favorite actor of all time. You know what I mean? It's, it ticks all the right boxes for me, basically. The film was one, called um, Angels with Dirty Faces. I, you were almost there, to be Dirty fair. Yeah. You were on it. Fictional gangster film made just for that. Okay, so I can sort by review rating. Descend in order. One out of ten. Kill me. <laughs> <laughs> one out of ten. I think these might be jokes. This yeah. movie served merely as the platform for Home Alone 3. Not only was Macaulay Culkin not nearly as good as Alex D. Linz, but the fact that it took this franchise two entire movies to build the scene for number three was rather disappointing. That's Home Alone 3 you're talking about, though, which in my book doesn't even exist. This I has got to be one of the most mean-spirited movies ever made. To categorise this as slapstick is an insult to all the actors from the distant past that really perfected this genre. <laughs> But there's loads of one-star reviews. Is this a comedy? Question mark. Way too violent. This got a PG. <laughs> question mark. Is this a Christmas movie? Why? Fucking who hell. are these people? Who are, who are these people? Like they sound really fun people. You know what I mean? Who are these people? <laughs> Internet trolls like me, probably. But um, yeah, yeah. Sure. mental. John Hurd. Um, I always known John Hurd as the dad from Home Alone. But John Hurd has actually been in a lot of 
less than reputable uh, productions. Uh, he was in the first Sharknado. He was in the Sharknado, yeah. He saves a dog from Dyson, being eaten by a shark by putting a car window through with a uh, bar stool. Um, he's in um, Chuds, the um, 80s like New York cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. People are dumping radiation underneath New York and it, and it turns all the homeless people into radiated zombies. He's, he's in that. It's, good. it's awful. He's in The Sopranos as a, <laughs> as a Ben Copper. Um, he was in Homeland? I want to say Homeland. Possibly. He's the, the senator. He's the that, senator in Homeland. Is that the show with the guy from Fringe in it? The, one the ginger really guy, Damien... The it's the ginger guy who's found Allah and um that girl that is a, the most mental CIA agent ever. Uh, it's a terrible show, it really is. <laughs> and it's like man, is it Mandy Patkin, the guy from Criminal Minds? He's in it as well. I don't know about. Yeah, it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Hurd's in that small part. But um. There's not much else I can say. You know, really. I just I just wanted to emphasise uh, how universally enjoyable it is. Really. So, where do you stand, Enga, on the Home Alone sequels? I, I, other, I don't other than other than two, you don't count them. them. Um, what about the second I, one? Any, that's 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 a fantastic film. Again, I can act that from start to finish if needed. But um, other than that, I don't think I do pretend they don't exist. The other ones, I don't want anything to do with. It's five in total, isn't it? Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Is it Disney? The Home Alone Disney? It's not, is it? Not to my knowledge. the type of thing they would do. With Disney, Disney have bought a lot of franchises. I couldn't tell you, but um, not to my knowledge. Okay. Oh. Uh, it is now. <laughs> 20th Century Fox. Well, there you go uh, then. Right. Yeah. So it is now. Yeah. So uh, yeah, what do you want? What do you guys want to say about Home Alone? I, I'm just telling you why I liked it and the basic outline of it. And uh... it's always been one of those films that's always on, like Christmas time. Joe loves it. Every year we watch Home Alone. Only the first one. Every year it gets watched. Um, again, it's only recently in recent years have I noticed how <laughs> incredibly violent it is. And as a kid, you're just like, <laughs> but like you yeah, know, exactly, yeah, exactly. Watch it now. It's just like fucking Christ. But um, like we guess the top of his head burnt off is. Hilarious. My question, my question to you then, right to you, to you three, if that film was released now, do yeah, you think you would get away with that same level of violence in it? It'd probably be even more violent. It probably would because yeah. the the rules for television and film have changed definitely. No, man, I don't think it would be as violent. There'd be certain I things. Don't think it would be as violent, no, at all. At all. There's a lot of there's a lot of talk about concussion in sports and stuff. So anything to do with concussion would probably be taken out straight away. Head in the ball, the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it, I think it would change. I don't think it would be as violent, but it would be more like not to say it's not slapstick because it is quite slapstick how it hits them and all that. But it would be far more I don't know gentle in a way. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think films are getting more violent. Personally, I think cartoons are getting more violent. I don't think films are. <laughs> a happy tree friends on the go. <laughs> yeah. Not this type of film, though. You say you say yeah. Films are more violent, but I don't think this type of film. Well, you've got your 12A now, although I'm new, instead of... Films lean more towards 12A than PG these days, and 12A seem to be more edgy than than the PG used to be like. Isn't 12A 12 or accompanied by an adult? Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. So I guess it would be no different to, like, 
uh, a PG Marvel film, and then you're seeing Thor bashing someone's head in with armor. So I am. No, this is my. I can tangent on this, so I won't. But I'll be very brief. I think if you're gonna show violence, you need to show the consequences of violence. So, like, yeah. maybe not like, all right, you get it in the head on Home Alone, his neck snapped, he died there instantly. But, like, the impact and just the, do you know what I mean? You can't, I hate films when, like, hundreds of people die and there's no blood. Shit like that fucks me yeah. off, man. Tarantino you know doing Home Alone, like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to show the consequences of it. It depends on the tone, obviously, that you're, you're setting, but, yeah. Sorry, I won't go in, into that any further. Maybe later we'll come back to that. Yeah, I get what you mean. Batman like, punches and beats up all the fucking bad guys, but it never shows. You know, I better walk after them like paralyzed and shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he never kills them, Tom. He doesn't kill them. No, never kills them. Just leaves them. She punches someone in the throat, like you know. <laughs> yeah. Fucking crazy man. Yeah, so I, d- I don't know if you want me to continue with other films, or if you want to go in next, or. We'll keep cycling, keep it fresh. We'll come back to you. For one of your yeah, that's great, that's great, that's great. You've got nothing else to say on, on uh, Hey Malene? I'm done, I'm done with Home Alone, no. I just wanted to showcase it, that's all. I'm, I'm done with Home Alone. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if Tom Rich who wants to go next. Uh, I don't mind. Uh, I go for it, Tom. Come on. Uh, hold on, hold on. Oh, I don't even know. Uh, well, uh, I'm not going to spend half hour looking for that. Um, oh, well, some kind of metal breakdown. One that. Uh, Wait, God, I can't remember all those when I, when I first watched this, but I didn't watch it when it first came out because I would have been about eight eight years old, uh, I think it was. Hold on, let me get that up. I would have been nine when this came out, and that is uh, Fight Club, and I'm pretty sure everyone's seen Fight Club. Oh, I've seen it 28 times. 1999, oh. that was Fight Club. 99, is it? Yeah. Directed by David Fincher, and I think. This is one of the the only ones where I prefer the movie to the book. The book is a different ending, doesn't it? It's drastically different, if I recall. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was. I don't know whether it's because I watched the movie before I read the book and I was just like playing the movie out as I was reading the book, you know what I mean? But uh, I, I definitely enjoyed the movie more. Um, do I need to explain the premise? I mean, I think everyone's... Give it a quick breakdown, I guess. Yes, um, Pretty much, you get this unnamed narrator who's who's fed up with his life. He's he's white collar job, you know, going through the motions every day, looking through the IKEA catalogs, and he's having a shit, and he's just fed up. So one day, one day, he just kind of uh, he meets this, this fellow called Tyler Durden, and uh, Tyler kind of, they go to a bar together late one night. They they have a few drinks, and Tyler opens up this like um, different underground world that that Jack. Which isn't the narrator's name, but we'll call him Jack. He, he's he uh, he didn't know really existed, so he drags him down into this underworld, and it kind of liberates Jack from this white collar life. Um, I'm pretty sure before that happened, Jack was going to like uh, addiction groups, even though he weren't addicted to things, just so he could kind of feel something that wasn't in his everyday life. That's, a, that's an important plot line, actually, son. It is, yeah, yeah, it is. That's uh, really smart. Cameo as well. Meatloaf, he's fantastic, isn't he? His name is Rob Oh, Meatloaf. yes, yes. Um, but through a uh, twist of fate, I guess, uh, it turns out that Tyler isn't really real and he's just Jack's... Um, the the life that he's missing kind of is is 
been reflected when he's sleeping in this uh, alternate ego called Tyler Durden who just wants to create chaos and destroy capitalism and 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 we're talking about Mr. Robot <laughs> pretty much pretty much I lost Spoiler interest alert. in Mr. Robot man I couldn't fucking couldn't I hack that turned <laughs> it off at that reveal because it was the plot for fucking Fight Club <laughs> yes yeah God I didn't mind it I only watched the first season though Mr. Robot I didn't watch it after that yeah I watched What's the first season that's where I ended but I think Fight Club for me, it, it just like it was basically the plot line of my fucking teenage years, you know. Fucking <laughs> it, it changed, it did influence me, like you know, as as edgy and whatever and all that. It fucking is, it did, like you know, and uh, I think it did it for a few people as well that are around probably our age. I know someone who work with me who's a big fan of uh, uh, not well so much the movie, but then into um, Chuck. Is it Chuck Falnuick? Falnuick, yeah. Falnuick, Falnuick. How you say his name? Sorry. Uh, his his writing and his books and stuff. Uh, I admittedly, Fight Club is the only one I read. I think I borrowed it off you, the book. Yeah, yeah, I think you did actually. Yeah, I think yeah. I lent one flew over the cuckoo's nest off you at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cracky man. That's an odd one. That is. Um, I have obviously Fight Club. The first time I saw Fight Club was in. It wasn't even in media studies. It was just in a lunch break in school it was just on the telly um it's a heavy thing to watch in uh <laughs> yeah this is um this was my our our yeah christ you were my our sixth form form teacher um psycho jones psycho jones there's it all i was probably had more influence on me than i would like to admit um <laughs> who uh kept on about bands like emperor and godflesh um, Emperor didn't stick they're absolute trash but Godflesh is probably one of my favourite bands ever um, so you know shit like that uh, he's good he's good yeah he's not he's a bit mental but he's a good guy and he's always watching mad films like Fight Club and stuff like that um, in, in class so yeah it's obviously a bit dated now and like there's been loads of parodies and rip offs but that was like Fight Club I think was, was the original um, for me anyway it was one of the first films I watched that I was just like what the fuck like you know it, it, was, it woke me bro I can always remember it in, um, in the, the MSN days, you would have, I'm pretty sure you had it actually as your little tagline, Tom, is oh. I am Jack smirking revenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that sounds like me. I think I saw, I saw a couple of people with that tagline when, uh, when I was really? young. I always thought that was um, something to do with The Shining. Jack, he's uh, reading... Jack Nicholson, isn't it? Not Johnny. They're, they're lodging in the house on Paper Street and... Um... They find loads of old uh, Reader's Digest magazines, I think it is, and he's reading articles, and the, the articles are written by someone called Jack. Ah. So he just kind of takes the name. I don't know if that's... It, it never actually mentions his name, but... Remind me, if you will, the followers that he gets, like Meatloaf et al., what, they become like this terrorist cell, essentially. Project Mayhem, yeah. Yeah, what, what, what's the kind of deal with that? I always kind of lose it with my, with my memory when it comes to that part of the story. Um... Pretty much, they want to reset everyone's uh, bank account to zero, so everyone has to start again. Mr. Robot. Mr. <laughs> Robot, too. yeah. Fuck me. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, but this came first. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> so that's what I mean. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the main goal: is to uh, to stir stir the pot, destroy all the white collar jobs, and uh, reset everyone's bank account to zero. Kind of reminds me of the the Joker's lot of um, like Batman. What's the one with the Heath Ledger Joker in it? Uh, the Dark Knight. Yeah, that, that kind of Jokery crew, are, you know. Yeah, panic. it's nihilism, I suppose, isn't Steal it? Steal the money and burn the money. You 
nihilism purely like I think that was the first introduction out to that as well. I don't think it affected me in a really positive way, though I'll be honest. Like you know, Fight Club. Yeah, I probably should have stuck to home alone, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm where I am like <laughs> Oh, Sam. Did uh, what about uh, Rich and Burra? Did you, do you enjoy Fight Club? Is it something you uh I enjoyed it. I, fun, I, yeah. I thought it was a great film. Um, it's got a pretty decent cast as well. It's like Brad Pitt, uh, Edward Norton, Helen Bonham Carter, uh, Jared Leto. Angel yeah. Face, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's brief. And Meat Loaf as well. So it's, it's, I'm sure I've missed someone. I'm sure there's someone else as well, but I can't think. It's a good uh, tidbit in there where um, Tyler's like doing one of his speeches down in the basement before the fight, and he's like, You're all taught by media, you've grown up to be politicians, movie stars. He looks at Jared Leto, he's like, Rock stars. <laughs> he's like, means it's like, uh, Reference. Uh, reference. Yeah. That would have been pre 30 seconds to Mars. Yeah, but, but surely would have. Jared Leto only um, started his movie career so that he could earn money to do 30 seconds to Mars. Yeah. Interesting way of going about it. Yeah. Yeah, no. ridiculously difficult industries to get into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. God can't can't fault his uh, his effort there. Most def. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's it is a really good film, or Fight Club. Um, of you know, it, it kind of when you think of films around the late nineties, early two thousands, that's normally one of the films that comes straight to mind. Yeah, you think, the you know, the yeah, it's. Uh, it's a cult classic as well because it wasn't, it wasn't massive when it came out either, was it? It was. Well, sorry, it wasn't massive when it first came out. It was kind of more popular after it came out. It's one of those yeah. films, right? Yeah, definitely. It was in that kind of row of David Fincher. Oh, the city's uh, sprawling and evil, and everything's dark and it's raining. Because yeah, he always has that kind of aesthetic. Not always, but most of the films I've seen of David Fincher don't have that aesthetic. So it's kind of like a trail of films in that tone so at that point i don't think it would have been massively popular but you know i think it kind of as you say gained a cult, cult following as it went on he did like seven not so long before it that's good um, yeah, that's a good film yeah and um i don't think there's a scene when they're outside except in the desert at the end when it isn't raining you know it's just <laughs> noir tropes out the dick hole yeah um yeah you also did the game have you seen the game with michael oh, douglas that. That is, a, that is a good film. Bit OTT, but that, that's a good one. And he did, a, he did Alien 3. Just looking, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a, not a good start there. Um, oh, the social network. I didn't know that. That's a bit of a tone change. Yeah. Yeah, David Fincher did the social network. And then he did Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, which again is dark and gritty, kind of like that in the same way as Fight Club. So, well, not a lot of people actually know though. Is there's a Fight Club two? There is. It's a comic book, is it? Just a comic. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I'd give it a miss. It's, I think it's it's kind of cashing in, and um, Chuck Valnew kind of inserts himself in a pretty big way, which is it's cringy as fuck. Like how how far how long after the film came out did that comic book come out? Uh, I remember picking it up when I was in Amsterdam in uh, Hank's. Did you show? Were you with me? Yeah. Do you know I was? Pardon? In Hanks, it was about 2016 or something in Hanks. Why, was it released in 2016? No, that's when Tom picked it up, though. So, okay. I think the last, um, yeah, unless you right. were, unless it was a, a Stegan trip, 
the last trip you guys had with with your cousin and stuff that was in September 2015. I know because I recently that started. That was it. I recently started employment with a, a company that should name remain nameless, and I flew over for the weekend. You were over for four or five days, and I went, I went over right. for two. Yeah, sure Just looking it up now, it's um, May 2015 it came out. So that's that was it. Yeah, yeah. Been six months-ish. No, it was, it was months, 2015. We, we was there in, in the, as you said, the September was there? Yeah, September, possibly October, but I'm pretty sure it was September. That's when Tom bought it, brother Tom bought it from Hank's uh, comic book and manga store. Uh, that was it, yeah. That was it. Hankle yeah. dangle, Frank. It's kind of the same same premise, though, that uh, Jack thinks he's got himself back to normalcy, but, you know, he's going to see a shrink and all that because of his problems. But Tyler's, like, paying off the shrink to tell him certain things and to keep him a secret from him, but he's really still building his criminal empire of the Project Mayhem behind the scenes. Mm. Kind of, kind of the same thing. Like they've still got the house on Paper Street and still going strong. I love the bit where the plane explodes. Yeah, that's a very good scene. And the, the bit where he's on about his, uh, his job as well. They ask him what he does. He's a car car insurance sales. I can't remember the exact name of it, but uh, he says that if the cost of a death is more than the cost of going to court, they just pay off the people. Like you know, when that happens in real life, like. Uh, insurance and stuff is a fucking yeah. pit. Grim reality. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, it's the grim reality of capitalism, you know. R forward slash late stage capitalism. That's, that's what the old film's about. It's kind of like almost an extension. It's not an almost extension of, but I get American Psycho kind of vibes in that it's someone who's like just completely bored of their existence. And like deals with it in obviously a completely different way than uh, American Psycho, but, yeah. um, you know. But um, they just detach themselves from normal everyday life. Like they don't want to be a sheep and go and follow the the road that everyone else takes. They want to. I get it. I don't. It's done... like the mirror, isn't it? It's like a t- like a complete opposite of who they are. Like in both films, mm. it's like Patrick Bateman is a he's a dressed up yuppie, like, and he just goes berserk. Yeah. <laughs> I love that film so much. Great. <laughs> we'll just look at it, eat it. Is it just to stare book? at it, eat it? Yes, the book is is a is a trip. Putting hamsters at people and stuff like <laughs> <laughs> urinal cake as a toy, as a sweets and shit on. Oh, that how oh, that didn't get banned? I'll never know. That it book. did in a few countries. Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> Good book. Not off the top of my head. I don't. It pulls, it pulls no punches. Uh, no. It doesn't. Doesn't. Yeah, that's the that's the right phrase, isn't it? Pretty sure there's one part where he's walking around. He's got a hard on. He's got someone's severed head oh, just no. hanging off his. <laughs> his <head. laughs> Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who's up Speaking next? Interesting one to talk about, but. Um, so the first of my three films is the action comedy Hot Fuzz, hey. uh, which is I think I think the three films that I picked today they, they more or less are my some of my favourite films at least. Um, this is by far my favourite uh, British comedy, um, and it's, it's it's tough to say that because there are some cracking British comedy films that have come out, but this, the, the, this film. Perhaps the this film this film is just 
it's bonkers in all the right ways. So, so quick breakdown. It's set in um, the West County vill- Country Village of Sanford, and Simon Pegg's character moves from London, where he is like you know this uber serious cop, um, to this really quiet village where nothing ever happens, and they win like Village of the Year award thing year in year out. They have no crime, nothing, and it's all really weird, and. What happens after that is, if anyone knows of the 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 ITV t- uh, show Midsummer Murders, it's basically like that Uncle Kane going <laughs> just all the way through, um, and you know they the reason why they don't have all the crime is because they basically kill anyone who will get in the way of them winning this big award for this for the town to have, which is insane, um, but. It's, it's a film that is incredibly quotable. There are some fantastic quotes in this film that come up in everyday life for me, at least, especially when I'm in work. You know, there's there's the so greater many, good, the greater good, yeah. You know, <laughs> all that stuff like. Um, and nice it's it's just so fun. Like I can't sell this film enough to people who haven't seen it because, like, there are some people. Well, one person in particular I work with who hasn't seen it. And I like whenever it's brought up, I'm just like fucking watch Hot Fuzz, like just fucking <laughs> watch it, because like it's such a good film, and anyone who hasn't seen it needs to see it, regardless of where you're from in the world. It'll give you a good insight to British humour, like at the ground level. I reckon, like that is if you've never watched, like if if anyone watching this has never watched um, a British comedy before and doesn't know if they understand British comedy, Hot Fuzz is like the best film to watch start off like straight away I, I would say that is the best comedy film to watch first off um, you wouldn't it, have them go canonical with uh, Simon Pegg movies and start with Shaun of the Dead yes so it's it starring Simon, yeah, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost um, it's part of the Conetto trilogy which consists of Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead and World's End um, I like I thought, Shaun of the Dead is a brilliant film as well. I, like I don't think Shaun of the Dead is that far off Hot Fuzz. I think Hot Fuzz is the better film, yeah. but Shaun of the Dead isn't that far behind it. But World's End didn't really. Come. I haven't seen it. I'll be honest. I, I uh, it was okay, I but but, uh, but it was yeah, it was nowhere near as good as the other two. Um, there are some crossover. Obviously, I think they said that with each film they wanted a different flavor connector for each film, basically. Um, and that the Canetto is a theme going through all three films as well. Um, uh, <laughs> just a random thing to have. Um, it's got some good uh, so it's got some British actors in there. Hang on, let me get the thing up. So you've got Timothy Dalton, who's a former James Bond. Um, Jim Broadbent's in there. He's in fucking tons of things. Um, who's the guy who played the Hound as well in Game of Thrones? Uh, yeah, He's- yeah. Yarp. 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 Oh, Timothy uh, Dalton is the um, is he the property developer guy? No, he is the supermarket owner. He is owns he? <laughs> he owns um oh what supermarket oh. now? Um uh it's a it's a I forget. It's like but, Safeway or something, yeah. right? I can't remember. <laughs> um yeah, he's he's that and he uh yeah. <laughs> um and there's also like Bill Bailey, isn't it, as well, in a pretty minor role. Um, no one tells me nothing. Obviously, like Martin Freeman is in it as well. Olivia uh, Coleman in one a really small part. Yeah, and I think Steve Coogan's in it as well. He's at the beginning. 
he's the police superintendent or yeah, whatever. Isn't he? In London, yeah. Um, so it, you know, it's it's your typical uh, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost cast, essentially. And it's directed by Edgar Wright as well, and Edgar Wright is a director that I think is brilliant. I, I like in terms of like filming and how he approaches scenes and how he makes things. I know unique in a way. Like you look at Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, that, that film. To me, that that's that's a brilliant film because of how different it is. Like you might not like the actors in it or the premise of it or whatever, but just the way it's executed, like from a visual point of view, is yeah different is to anything else I've seen. Even though, like, yeah, and um, the the one thing I really like about the Edgar Wright films with um, in the Canetto trilogy is he does uh, it's the Edgar Wright. It, it was I think a YouTuber called Peter McKinnon done this thing called the Edgar Wright Challenge where it was basically you had to uh, make each transition like Edgar Wright. So you know where it like zooms in and he grabs his keys, grabs his wallet, grabs whatever. It's like, doof, 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 like that, going all the way through. That was like, it wasn't invented by Edgar Wright, but it was popularized by him. And, yeah. um, it's so in it's, Requiem for a Dream as well. They use that for the, the shooting up scenes in Requiem for a Dream, if you've seen yeah. that. So, Very, yeah. Uh, it's this, like for me, it's just like the way the Hot, 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 uh, the way hot Fuzz is filmed as well. It's got that typical British vibe about it, like especially when they're in London. It's miserable. Like you look at the colours and the scenes and everything. It's totally blue and it's <laughs> sort of, you know dirty and oh, yeah. Um, and then you get to this town, and it's all bright and happy because they always win these awards and they've got their own model town, which is like a scale replica. <laughs> <of> town, <laughs> and you know everyone, everyone is so happy. Um, isn't it like one of the biggest crimes to happen is that goose is running around? Yeah. <laughs> it's a swan, actually. It's a swan. It's a swan, actually. P.I. Staker. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's oh, speaking of, uh, on a little tangent, I remember uh, me and... Uh, God, he's getting another. He's getting another shout out on this cast. Me and Andy were on our way to work one day, and um, we were driving down the M4, and there were these... A car pulled over, a police car, and there was these two policemen trying to actually grab a swan on the side of the road. Just <laughs> <laughs> running away, and we were just like, "Is this is this real? <laughs> is this real life?" Like, it was, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, this um, it's a film that I, I I just love. I think it's so funny. The quotes are great. I don't want to I don't want to spoil it too much for people who haven't seen it. I won't say what happens in the end, for example. Um, just because I think it's it's pretty good how how that all comes together, and the, you know the it's like but when you when you watch it once and you see it all you're like oh that's cool that's cool but when you rewatch it and you know what happens at the end you kind of pay attention more, and then you see all these little nods here and there and it's just it's it's a solid film like and and I guess that's why I, I picked it as one of my three. It's also another incredibly violent film. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's another thing I forgot to mention was the violence. Jesus, it's um, yeah, they don't hold back on it, but they do the same in Shaun of the Dead as well. I think that's just like a, a Peg and Frost thing, and it's. I get you know a lot of slasher vibes. Like it's it's like a uh, not a parody, but you know it 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 calls the hallmarks from the slasher genre, like especially like Scream. That is yeah. really similar, you know. But Scream is almost a parody of slash movies in itself. So, but like, um, yeah, the the guy you're running around in black with the fucking, <laughs> you know, knife shit. and shit, and it's like, oh, again, won't say too much to spoil it. I, I don't know. Is it? 
spoilable though. It's been it's what I know it's been out thirteen years old now. Quite, I think. quite, quite old now. Um, yeah, but <laughs> it's it is it's, it's based. Uh, it was influenced by I think it was over a hundred. Yeah, over a hundred action films they took inspiration from in this as well. They haven't written, they haven't said which ones, but like, uh, what was the was Point Break? The film Break that is, uh, it's in the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um, <laughs> yeah. So they they took they basically put like all the American action films into this small British town, and then like especially with you know with the end scene where he's walking through town with the freaking horse and guns and all that stuff with the glasses it's pretty pretty it's cool. like, it worked so well but i bet like the cost of shooting it was pretty reasonable considering the location it was filmed in edgar wright's hometown i believe yeah where is it it's somewhere local isn't it wells it's not, in it's Somerset. Just, where is wells it was filmed there we go it's just over the um it's just down the road mate it's just it's over the road from uh some some acquaintances of mine. <laughs> Where they filmed Hot Fuzz? My pay visit there one day. I can remember one of our acquaintances um, telling us about he lived near it or whatever. It's a beautiful cathedral. <laughs> In Wales. Generally it is. See Arthur. <laughs> Yeah, our author is joining me for this um, in-depth critique. Um, so yeah, this is much less something you're likely to see on uh, ITV2, more something you read about in the fucking Guardian or something. Um, so my first choice is um, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. <laughs> okay. um, the reason I picked this, um, massive fan of Twin Peaks, one of the best things ever made ever in the history of time. Um, well, the reason I picked it is because I was hoping everyone would watch it, and it did. Yeah, get, it did get everyone watching it. Gareth, I know, has seen it previously in, uh, in his uh, media studies class. Yeah, we did. Right? We did. A, we did like a little um, media studies project on on some on some of that kind of stuff, and that was one of them. Yeah, I'm wondering good, who, uh, what a good subject to do it on, though. David Lynch, like what teacher would want to torture their students like that? <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing in terms of of directorial styles though and, and the style of David Lynch at the time but we didn't do Twin Peaks obviously but uh, yeah 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 so, I'm glad you suggested it though because it was on my list for ages because you introduced me to Twin Peaks and I love that and watching Malone Drive is kind of in the similar vein it's you know? very similar isn't it yeah it's got, the, it's got that vibe to it instantly I remember the first time I put it on to watch it it was with Joe and within the first I don't know minute or two when Naomi Watts is walking out of the airport, she was like, "Has this got anything to do with Twin Peaks?" Because they all talk <laughs> like they're in Twin Peaks. Everything and I was like, "How though. did you know?" <laughs> it's, it's like the, I'm not watching this. Well. That's that style of acting. Do you like the old couple when they say "bye" to and stuff? Yeah. It's like that spaced up weird style of I can't explain. Hang like, the camera. This is Lynch 101. Hang the camera on someone just a little bit too long, and it's just like everyone's kind of just. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking great like and that is drawn out to massive effect in um the latest twin peaks series um not just minutes we're talking episodes of just wall climbingly frustrating stuff but it's in hindsight brilliant but anyway um mulholland drive uh it's a bit of a bizarre one um 
it's basically just a recap. There is a is is a film about uh, a woman named I think it's Betty. I guess confusing. So Rita. Betty comes to Betty Rita. comes. To, it is Rita, yeah, Betty and Rita. That's right. Betty comes to Hollywood and she's staying in her like cousin's flat or some shit. And then um, she meets this woman who's like hiding there. She's had a car accident. Her name's Rita. She doesn't know who she is. Um, so the entire plot of the film is basically trying to figure out who Rita is because she's got amnesia from the car accident and it's intertwined with these little vignettes and little storylines which go all over the place. And then there's this moment where um, it turns out that none of that's actually true. Um, the woman's name is Diane and the other woman's name is Camilla and she's actually her ex-girlfriend. And uh, there's some crazy plot where a lot of things don't really add up. Um, I mean, it's Which hard to explain, really. Say again. Which part are you referring to, Bill? Which which part am I referring to? Yeah, they don't add up. Well, all of the most of it, to be honest with you. Entire film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so basically, it, it comes. It's about two thirds of the way through the film. You realise the story you've been watching is a dream, uh, a mental illness, a alternate dimension. Who, who knows? Um, and you wake up with this woman in her actual washed out life. So basically I think what you see, I don't know what it is. I think it's like, um, I, I'm going to say it's a dream of someone who's gone to bed, having hired the assassination of their ex-girlfriend. Um, and then is dreaming of this perfect world that they thought they had, but they're just a washed up actor and they hate their life. Um, are we doing spoilers? I mean, it's old enough, isn't it? We could do spoilers for Mulholland Drive because it makes no sense. Anyone who watches yeah. this <laughs> is well, going to... I think it could be like a, a, the, the kind of life flashing before your eyes kind of thing when she's dying at the end. Uh, she, she's dead, isn't she, pretty much? Well, when, the they, when, well, they, when they find her in the dream, she's dead. Diane Selwyn is dead. So. But she kills herself at the end as well. With exactly. The old, the old people are, yeah. So I think the whole thing is like her picture-perfect reality of what she wanted the world to be, whereas in reality she was just living, you know, slumming it, fudding herself senseless in that apartment. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought a video of Naomi Watts masturbating could be so disturbing. <laughs> it was sad masturbation, though, wasn't it? It was a quiet <laughs> wank, wasn't it? <laughs> so, like, this film was... Really hard to watch. I watched it in two parts because I fell asleep halfway through it the first time. <laughs> and <laughs> so I didn't understand. And I think I'm, I'm going to bring this bit up because I brought it up <laughs> when we've talked about it. Is the uh, is the horrible face of the 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 jump scare bit basically? I hope I never see that face in real life. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's smoothie from. Uh... Happy. Happy, yeah. Uh, Dan, I think his name is in that. But I've, I've looked up a bit into this because I was a bit confused with that, with, uh, like you were. But um, apparently, I think what you need to know is the original idea was to have Mulholland drive into like episodes. It was meant to be a series. It was so, a cancelled pilot. So um. I think that, the, the hitman scene, that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, the hitman is the guy who ends up killing Camilla. But he just ends up killing like everyone on that floor. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, 
Yeah, they're, they're all mixed up. Uh, I think Dan Smoothie was applying for a job in like Wendy's in uh, California. Is it? Yeah, is it Wendy's? A lot of stuff happens in that restaurant. Is it? Cal- yeah, yeah, but um, they're in Hollywood. Who, does, yeah, so who goes? Who goes to Hollywood or wherever they are to uh, to apply for a Wendy's? So it's like a reflection. The the bum, the homeless guy, is a reflection of what he could be. It's like a nightmare of of what reality could be for him if he didn't get the job in Winkies or whatever it's called. Winkies, that's the badger. Yeah. Just hit their Winkies. Isaac. <laughs> it's like, yeah, faced with reality. So, like, I, 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 scene, I did... That, that I hands did, down is the best scene in the whole film. I it's did... I did, like, <laughs> I, I did get the whole, um, like, you know, sort of dream sequence like first three quarters of the film was like a dream. Then the last quarter or last third, I guess, was real life. Because when she's in the calf talking to the hitman and the woman who's actually serving her a drink is called Betty. So she's, that's signaling she's the waitress. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I don't know, <laughs> but I see what you're saying. There's a similar thing with the woman decides her name is Rita in the beginning. She looks at a poster of Rita Hayworth an old actor, there's a woman on the yeah. wall. It's a pinup of, of Rita Hayworth, the old uh, classic, again, classic golden age of Hollywood kind of era, you know, actress, Rita Hayworth. So I think it's all, it's like, uh, I don't know. I think to see it, it's a dream, does, doesn't do it justice. Yeah, it was all a dream. It's fantasy, but, um, dream, I guess. Yeah, it's like, uh, I don't know. And it's hard for me to explain because I don't really usually like this type of thing. I don't know what it is about David Lynch. Um, that draws me to it, but it's not really my, you know, I prefer things that are a bit more straightforward usually. But um, it's to do with the like the mood and the the the. It's, again, it's the way it's filmed. It's awkward and it's quirky and like it's like up here, like sickly sweet, like you know, <laughs> melodramatic, and it's down there, fucking terrifying, just bizarre, and it's you know, it's all over the place and um. It's like somehow manages to to paint these like dreamscapes. You constantly feel like it's a dream. Do you know what I mean? It's really weird, and that's what everything's perfect. Like uh, in the in the dream, and it's the same thing that kept me watching Twin Peaks. Because when I started watching Twin Peaks, I heard again. It was so weird. It's so brilliant. It's amazing. I was watching it. I was like, "What the fuck is this? It's just some small town drama." Yeah, it took but me like five attempts to watch finish yeah, this episode. Like, no, same. I watched the pilot. It's like an hour and a half long. It is not an easy thing to watch. It's like, you know, it's like it's all these kids in this tiny town and their friend died. And you're like, I don't Who care. Cares? You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? You don't care. But then there's this underpinning, like, sense of dread. Like, nothing is quite right. And you don't know what it is. And it's the, I think it's a combination of the music and, like I said, that really awkward, like, way of filming things. Like, you know, focusing on people's deliveries and stuff, all really slow dialogue. People just acting in the most bizarre ways. Um, I don't know, it just kind of makes this magical kind of world. And I think just picking Mulholland Drive, because it's such a popular film, um, especially with art students and all the rest of it, um, it was just an easy way for me to get David Lynch into this into this kind of, um, you know, steep cast discussion. Because, you know, me and Tom, we want to do a, a Twin Peaks podcast, but it's not possible because, uh, you know, you need to have seen it. It, it just can't. Me, 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 and Tom talking about Twin Peaks for an hour and it'd just be boring. Yeah. But um, you know. Yeah. But if you don't, if you didn't like 
Mulholland Drive, then you're not going to like anything by David Lynch. You know what I mean? It's- like, <laughs> the other the other scene, which uh, was just bizarre, was the whole director and the um, the, the coffee bit, the coffee bit, and all that. It's just there's like the fuck, the fuck's going on, and then Billy Ray Cyrus. A lot of this stuff out of nowhere. It's like why the fuck is Billy Ray Cyrus in this film? This is just bizarre. Um, the the man in red from Twin Peaks is yeah, like he's right at the start, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's sitting in like a chair and he behind some glass, and that's never really explained either. Nope. Oh. I think a lot of it is, as you say, it was the pilot. The first hour is a pilot, and then the rest was re- when they, the TV show wasn't picked up. I think it was like a year and a half later. Like it came to me in a dream, and he wrote the ending, and bang, there it was, film. But um. Yeah, there's a lot of tangents I think aren't explained for that reason. And he does get away with it because it's David Lynch. No one really questions the fact that there are a lot of threads that lead nowhere, but it was supposed to be a TV show. Because I got confused by the old people at the end. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like, they were really small walking out of that bag. Yeah, that... They were crawling under the door. Then all of a sudden, they were full size and then trying to kill this woman. Is it saying maybe that that's where the delusion started? I think they were just some strangers she was on the flight with, whatever, and she just imagines that they're like, you know, th- well, they are strangers on the flight, aren't they? But like, it, I don't know, man. <laughs> the, cube, uh, the key in the cube from Silencio. The key in the cube. Now, that is, again, something to do with the, the assassination, isn't it? Because he gives her the key when the job is done. So when he finds the key, the job is being done. Like, you know, I guess it's just when the dream ends i guess you know what i mean that so dream re- can't go any further you know what i mean it's, it's going to become kind of disappears like exactly it's gonna like there's no way they can find out who rita is because rita doesn't exist and like you know everything in that perfect little world they, they had their proper lesbian sesh you know and they had this beautiful moment in uh club uh club silencio which again is again ongoing themes red curtains like music which isn't actually playing all david lynch things that have come up before since the Razorhead. Same with the people. Like there's people living in the radiator in the Razorhead, which is really similar to the little tiny people running around. It's just these recurring themes, which are all um, like I don't know from the subconscious. It, it's bizarre. It is bizarre. Very. And like, even going to the um, we went to the David Lynch exhibition. Me and Gareth went up um, in Manchester last year, and there's a lot of things in paintings and and stuff that just you know, just recurring themes through all the films, TV series, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but it, it's definitely a polarizing one. And I'm glad you watched it. having never watched a David Lynch film or probably any surrealist kind of things before. So um, it's uh, it's an interesting one. Interesting I've, watched, one to watch. I've watched weird films, like, you know, artsy for the sake of artsy films before. But <laughs> yeah. It's it's one that's what that's what I just saw in it. I was just like, this is just weird for the sake of being weird, and then it's just being passed off as art because art. That's that's basically what I got from it. I don't. I I think there's more to it than that. I completely understand why you would think that. I completely. I I I get it. I understand, but I think there is more to it. Like I said, there is more to it. There's always like you think like there's a breadcrumb trail, and you're like. There's got to be something behind this, and then like, it just takes you to more questions. It does, yeah, it, it does. You know, 
There's another I, film. I'm going to illuminate myself a second. <laughs> yes, and you are, you've been sitting in the dark for a bit now. I didn't want to interrupt Sean, though. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt anyone either, no. Not a problem. I can't sell it to you. You've seen it. You know, you either get you either get into that atmosphere and you enjoy it, or you just think, what the fuck is this shit? You know, so it's one or the other. Lynch it's is a really weird way, though, of like an hour of nothing much happening, and then he just throws it all at you at once, like... It is like that. Most of the few things. It'd be like that, though. It, it do, do be like, like that, though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'd like to. I would have picked something Twin Peaks related, but it's it's too hard to shoehorn that in. So Mahal Walhal and Drive uh-huh. got picked. Um, it's probably the most accessible of the surreal David Lynch films because in the early nineties he did some really kind of straightforward films, like big blockbuster films like The Elephant Man and uh, Dune. Uh, and some other shit like that. Um, it was only later on he started doing mad shit. There's a, there's Sean, last um, who did who did Cape Fear? That's not David Lynch, is it? It isn't. No. Um, Very similar style, though. It isn't is. It? Yeah, I can't. I've seen Cape Fear, but I, fuck, it's been years since I've seen it. That's a really similar style in that in that kind of genre, I guess. Like of Gregory Peck. Style. <laughs> Gregory Peck. Uh, Martin Scorsese. That was. Ah, okay, you're right. I didn't know. Very I didn't know that was a that Yeah, I mean, it basically, it, it it all just goes back to like The Shining and all weird shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I the Shining. The Shining. I think Dial Lynch was an art student who seen The Shining and was like, "I'm going to make a movie," and that's how it went. <laughs> you know, obviously doing the man a massive disservice, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about Marlon Drive. It is. Absolute mindfuck. We could talk about it for hours, like you know, but um, with anything, David Lynch. But yeah, yeah. What about you, guy? You've been very quiet on it. I know Tom enjoyed it, and I know Richard hated it. Oh, what, um, uh, what? <laughs> what do you actually I, think? Well, I'll drive. I I enjoyed it. But you've you've got to watch it, and and you haven't got to be one of these people who are like, what's happening by here now? Who's that man? Who's that man? <laughs> Who's that now? You haven't, you can't be like our. You've just got to watch it and just like, all right, okay, yeah, that was weird, great film, though. That's that's how I saw it. That's just, that was me, like. But like, I can't watch a film and like say, oh, it was a great film because it was weird. Like, it has to make sense. Like, it's got to have something that ties the story together. It can't just be all these scenes and then just go nowhere. Sometimes it's, that's nice. Though. It's sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's a nice escape from reality to just have that kind of whoa. Like, I, I. I like that. I, I think that's good sometimes. Just, that's yeah, nice you, you're bang on, though. Sometimes that is life. Like, you know, sometimes you, you don't get the answers. Yeah, no, well, like that's it. what... Um, that is one of the things that I think it was Mark Frost, Twin Peaks writer, said, life is scary and beautiful and terrifying and it doesn't make sense ever. So it's all those things wrapped into one little package. Like, um, Did Frost have a hand in Malone Drive? No, not at all. Not at all. Ah. Mark Frost is a TV writer. Does all this normal TV stuff, and then he did Twin Peaks, which makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, weird, 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 weird. But um, Twin, Twin Peaks is one thing which should never have happened, but it did. And uh, I don't know. I won't start on that. I will be here all fucking night otherwise. Um, but it's yeah, I, season four though. Season four, Twin Peaks. He says it's not happening, but he said a lot of things are never going to happen. So I think it might. <laughs> He said Twin Peaks is dead. It's never coming back. And then it came back. So 
25 years later. Have to wait another 25 years, yeah. <laughs> All the casts will be dead. <laughs> but, uh, here's what it is. Here's what it is. I want David Lynch to direct an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah, be perfect great. for him. That would be a head fuck of an episode. So, so you know, that's, that's an example of like surreal stuff that is really good, is Black Mirror. Like that stuff is like weird. It is weird, um, but it's also scary at the same time. But it it does have a story, and it's like good weird. It's one of those things. Whereas you know, like I said, with Malone Drive, I just didn't feel it went anywhere, or there was any point in it being there. It was just like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I I as you can tell, I wasn't a fan, but you know, that's that's my opinion. <laughs> I recommend yeah. you his his final film, Inland Empire. That that's uh, you should watch that one. You love that. It's like three hours long, and it it makes. Well, I just gonna say it makes no sense. It is, <laughs> it's like three hours of completely detached scenes. It is basically the smaller bits, but as a film, and it's like there is a plot. Apparently, I can't work it out. It's an absolute nightmare of a film. Really hard to get through. Three and a half hours long. Yeah. What is it? Just like uh, multiple characters' lives and stuff. Um. So there's this. Um. Do you know Jeremy Irons, the British actor? Yeah. Um. So you've got Jeremy Irons. He's working. Um. On a movie again. It's based in Hollywood. Kind of like Malone Malone Drive. He's working on uh, a new movie about an ancient Polish story. But this story is like a folklore story, and it's cursed. And every time they try and make a film about it, something fucking mental happens. <laughs> so, like Laura Dern, who's in the purple-haired woman in the last Star Wars film, who flies the fucking super star destroyer through this. You know what I mean? Not the super yeah. star destroyer, but that one. She blows up that machine. She's Diane in Twin Peaks. Um, she's a, an actress who becomes a part of this production, and then to start with, it's really well done because she can't separate her character and what's going on in the story of the film from her life and at first it's like this is fucking mad how are they doing this but then it just goes fucking like into the into the fucking madosphere and at one point there's like these people with prosthetic rabbit heads walking around and it's just like what the fuck that premise um, that premise actually sounds really cool though. yeah it does like, yeah. It starts to it blurs and blurs and it gets more and more confusing. What's real? What isn't? And then about an hour in, you 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 you're lost permanently. Like it is an absolute nightmare of a movie. Halfway through, it just cuts to Poland and all these Polish characters speaking Polish for the next like hour and a half. And it's just like I watched it in work on a night shift and it totally fucked, fried my head. Like it makes <laughs> no sense at all. They reminded me of an old French uh, film called um, Belle du Jour, um, which is about a French prostitute. Um, who's like another person who's bored with their bourgeois existence and when her rich doctor husband goes to work she starts moonlighting as an escort and uh, she starts meeting all these mad clients uh, it's a classy film it's French and it's in the 60s so it's really classy um, but yeah again the lines between reality and what is going on and when is starts to blur and it all becomes this fucking just yes fucking nuts I love films like that you know the membrane of reality and what is and isn't there is really, really thin. So I like it when people fuck around with that. But I've rambled more than enough about this, so I'm going to wrap it up on Mulholland Drive and on David Lynch and on Surrealist Films because we've fucking gone on for ages and we've got more films to get through. <laughs> so, um, yeah, back to you, Gareth. That's enough on me. 
Who are you going with? Stephen Albert. Me? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll quickly do a, a little piece on uh, on a film called Plane, Trains and Automobiles, which again stars in the name John Candy. My favourite <laughs> contrast. Actor. Yeah, well, yeah. My favourite actor. I'm sure from various group conversations over the past 12 possible years of knowing each other, you see various John Candy memes and gifts from myself. You know the film, even if you haven't seen it. You've seen some of the scenes from it. Anyway, uh, so it's a 1987 film. I was one year old then. Oh, um, directed by directed by John Hughes of pioneering family comedies such as Home Alone, Uncle Buck, etc. Again, all starring John Candy. Um, yeah, so yeah, the film stars uh, the lovable John Candy as well as Steve Martin. And um, so the story revolves around uh, self-proclaimed shower curtain ring king, Del Griffiths. <laughs> Laughing all I was expecting, AS. Love it. Um, yeah, so um, he, he's a, a shower curtain ring parent, shower curtain ring salesman. And, uh, and Steve Martin's character is a marketing executive called uh, Neil Page. Um, and their paths um, basically cross after um, Steve Martin's character is trying to get on for Thanksgiving. Um, and the film basically revolves around a three-day escapade of the characters kind of uh, doing various different things, much to the annoyance of Steve Martin. Yeah, so um, the opening sequence of the film uh, that shows Steve Martin leaving his office desperate for a cab, He's running through the streets. I believe he's chasing a young Kevin Bacon. I'm pretty sure it's Ke a really, really young Kevin Bacon is on the other side of the road, but also bought in a cab. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, anyway, so he finds a cab, and he has a bit of a dispute with another guy over the cab. He bribes the guy for, a ca for the cab to give him up his cab. Just as that bribe is taking form, a huge trunk, like a... a, a, a uh, a chest then gets dumped into the back of the taxi and off it rides. Inside is John Candy's character. So there we go. Um, Gareth. Gareth, just to jump in, yeah. it was Kevin Bacon. Um, it was Kevin Bacon, there we go. There we he's, go. Uh, he was credited as Taxi Racer. He's literally in it for about five seconds, Rich. About five <laughs> seconds. Um, yeah, so so as I say, he was, he, was, he was bribing for a cab as he's handed the money over or whatever. Dell chucks the trunk in and off he goes. O'Neill is he's running after the cab and, and you've seen you've seen this the face in this gift. It's it's the face then where where um he opens up the cab door and John Candy is just like like that. You've seen that face, yeah? And then off the cab goes and that's it. That's the last they see the last time they see each other until Steve Martin gets to the airport airport and who should be sat there is uh Del Griffith right opposite him. And um they have a brief conversation about uh, the uh, the the taxi situation, and and uh, you must have, again you would see the clip, uh, and he says to him, "I know you, right? I know you, right?" Is that him? And um, I just looking through my some of my notes actually, yeah, and um, that's 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 basically basically how they meet. Then they get on the plane. Dell is sat next to him, shooting his mouth off, being extremely annoying, telling us about the shower curtain ring business or whatever. And uh, yeah, so they basically um, at the start they keep crossing paths. Eventually, both teaming up together in the attempt to get home for Thanksgiving. 
uh, various different escapades, including uh, when they are driving down the motorway and uh, it's the wrong way, and and then and then they shouted, "You're going the wrong way!" You see, you've all seen that. You've all seen that. And Dell's like, for a minute, he's like a brief skeleton. So the devil minutes. and shit, yeah. <laughs> the devil and stuff, yeah. Um, yeah, and um, then amongst all that, then uh, uh, there comes a scene then where it all gets too much. The annoyance gets too much. And there's, there's that scene which is heavily referenced in Family Guy where Del Griffith is like, you want to hurt me? Go right ahead. I'm an easy target. Are you familiar with that at all? Um, and uh, Del basically explains to to uh, to Steve Martin's character that he's hurt his feelings or not. And Del is a lovely character. He's, he's a gentle giant and he's a very kind-hearted person. Um, and, and, and and you actually feel bad for Del when he, when he's getting all that stick because because he's oblivious. Uh, though. character, he's, he's not got much patience on him. What's that? Sorry, he's oblivious, completely oblivious. Yes, yeah. He's <laughs> <But>, uh, <laughs> a nice man, though. I mean, he, he means well. He is very very annoying, um, but <laughs> I, I, he means well. So it's like, and you do you do feel for Del. Um, now, at a certain point within the film. Um, Steve Martin's character kind of realizes, wait a minute, this this guy can't be getting all this just from like some past shower curtain ring deals. I mean, he's, like, he's getting all these hotel rooms and, and favors from people just from like he's like, oh yeah, I sold up your shower curtain rings once, and he's like, nah, you come on now, come on now. So yeah, he works out. He's just kind of like been blagging his way through stuff. Uh, he accuses him of stealing money at one point as well. Um, yeah, so uh, further down the line. Basically, I'll just I'll just move quickly forward. Further down the line, we realise that um, Dell doesn't actually have a home. His wife Marie has been dead for about eight years at the time. Um, and I mean, although he claims to be a shower curtain ring salesman, I I don't actually know how much truth there is to that. I, I believe he might have been a shower, shower curtain ring salesman, but at this point we don't know. So he's somewhat of a of somewhat of a traveller. And somewhat of like a blagger and a freeloader, but he's clever at doing it. Really clever, just kind of really clever at doing it. So basically, his entire life is that chest, that trunk, which is a very notable piece of iconography within the film. The big, big chest that he carries everywhere with him. Yeah, so it's, it's basically just a, a what's described as a road buddy comedy, um, and it's and that's all it is really. And it's kind of like the the love hate relationship where his dad is really annoying and. And he's, he's, you know, you, you know it works. But yeah, towards the end of the film, you realise that um, Dell's life isn't so great. He's not got a home. His wife is actually dead. And I say questionable on the shower curtain ring thing. Um, and eventually leading to um, to uh, Steve Martin's character inviting Dell home uh, to spend Thanksgiving with his family. And I mean, I could go on and on and on about little things that happen in between. But that's the main that's the main plot of the film. It's a very heartwarming film. Um it despite being a comedy film, there's some very sad moments and ups and downs and it's not just straight up slapstick. It's got a bit of more more of a moving story to it than things like Home Alone or Uncle Back and things like that. But um very enjoyable. Another John Hughes film and another classic John Candy film. So uh, I, I, you've you've seen that I'm guessing at some point. Yeah, it's been good. a long time, but yeah, a long it, yeah. time ago I saw that. I remember. The, I, don't, I don't remember the ending. I'm glad you clarified. I can't remember what happened if he stayed with him. I know he went in for dinner. Do they end up living with him then? Is he like some um, mad I don't know what, maniac again, we, who lives in the? 
<laughs> chuck them in the basement. Chuck them down <laughs> in the basement. All we know, all, all the last thing we see is that um, Dell is home and he's introduced the Nevis family. Now, now at the end of that film, it looks like right. You might have noticed. It looks like Steve Martin's wife recognizes Dell when 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 he's brought home because Steve Martin is like, "This is Dell Griffin," and she looks at him, and there's like a kind of like a look as or she knows who he is or she's met him before. But I don't know if that's just my take on it. And I should have looked into this further. I really should have. And I will look into it further. But um, I always got that vibe. I always got that vibe when he's brought home. That the wife knows him from somewhere. Like a uh, family friend or from the past. Or, or maybe his wife is related to Dell's wife. Some, I don't know. I'm, I may be looking way too far into it. But yeah, he's brought home. The trunk gets chucked in his house. And it's like, this is Dell. Here he is. And it's somewhat of a happy ending. Um. But yeah, that's it. It's a, it's a uh, very enjoyable um, film of that era, of that time of films. Again, Uncle Buck, Home Alone, etc. All within that, you know. Cool it's like John Hughes as well. Uh, there was um, there was a scene that I remember. They're in a hotel room, and he's he's like, uh, "Where's your hand? Oh, it's in between two pillows." He's like, "Always ah, right, on yeah. pillows." <laughs> that's right. Yeah. This bum. And then, and then they're all playing on manly. They're like, "See the football." See the being like, ah, oh, that kind of thing, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they like cuddling each other and stuff, I'm glad you but, uh, could, could clarified what you meant there in that joke. The punchline <laughs> Yes, uh, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's all I'm saying on it, really. You, you know, it's um, fantastic film, great soundtrack. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a good film. It's a good film. One of my favourites. Good 80s film, comedy. The 80s or early 90s? 80s. 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 87. Apologies. I apologize. Profusely. It's older than I thought it was as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was uh, like early 90s. You think yeah, that? Most of the John Candy films were around that era, weren't they? They were around the late 80s, yeah. early 90s. Yeah. yeah, I was like wondering where in that, in that like lineage of his films. Is, is Uncle Buck the same director again? Ah like uh, yes, yeah. same director, uh, right? And now it's obviously got Macquarie Culkin in it as well, so it's it's the similar kind of uh, fold of. I've never uh, seen that one. I'll be honest with you. I'm guessing he was good friends. That the John Candy and uh, John Hughes were good friends. Then I'm guessing. I'd imagine so. Seeing uh, as he directed quite a few, like what about Cool Runnings? Who directed that? Was that him as well? <laughs> I want to say yes, but I'm not going to say yes because people will comment to call me out on it. As I say, I I'm going to Google it, but Richard is on it. I can see. Yeah. yeah, he's on this. The cool run-ins. Yeah, but there was like an era of family films like that, even though they're completely different stories. It's like you don't get them like that anymore. They, they no. don't. They don't I exist. Know. It was a this John Turtle Turtle Town Turtle Town. <laughs> That's Turtle Town. Thoughts and prayers. But yeah, it's not uh, not John Hughes. I've always wondered what he was kind of based on, and there's the answer, fucking, because they're all like puns and jokes of people. So um, there we go, Turtle Top. Fucking yeah. great. <laughs> Tarantula, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, there's not a great deal I want to say in playing Trace No One. It's just one of my favorite films. Again, I've just, I've just chucked it in the mix. Nice heartwarming film, really. I'll have to watch it. I think Joe would enjoy it if she hasn't seen it. She might have seen it, and um, I haven't seen it for years, so I should uh, should definitely give it a go. I just, I always, you just always use that GIF 
Should we use that gif in the um in the in chat of them of of them in the car? Oh, the <laughs> turns into the devil and the skeleton. Going the shit. wrong way. Fucking hilarious. I have no idea what you're referring to, Sean. <laughs> never, never seen it before, have you? No, so just the one I when mean, he's got a cigar and the the uh, he's got a cigar and a drill. What's that from? Oh, Is he like okay? Is it that one? Yeah, it's when he's scaring the uh, he's scaring the boyfriend of his of his niece, isn't he, with a drill. Yeah. I should have done Uncle Buck, in fact. Yeah. Just <laughs> that. <laughs> I, I mean I mean the file format. I have no idea what you're on about. Well, what is it? Jeff. Yeah. Was that? <laughs> Some sort of uh, personal imitator. <laughs> you get sued for that. Um Is it Jeff or GIF? What, what where'd you stand at the moment? GIF, son. <laughs> It depends though because Sif and Jeff Sif. Um I go to clean my house with Sif. That's where that's where this comes from. That's where, you know what I mean it rolls off the tongue easier for our foreign friends, for our European friends. Um I, I I prefer I prefer saying um Sif. I like it, I like it. I like the way it sounds. As for Giff and Jeff, I do not know and I can't possibly <laughs> speculate. <laughs> what did JPEG be called? What did JPEG be? Jepeg. We, we settled this last time. JPEG. Yes, exactly the same conversation. JPEG. JPEG. Apple Joe. Oh, fucking hell. Joe DiMaggio. My favorite type of file is a DAT because you can say, What's DAT? Yeah. What is a DAT, though? Isn't that more to do with images? It's no, it's not. Data file area. Oh, it's a data file. I'm not into these archaic Windows <laughs> formats. I don't know what a DAT file is. Oh, I like oh, a DAT. I like a nice ring to it. What DAT? Oh, DAT. Oh, that's DAT. Uh, right. That is. Shall we uh, move on to Tom's choice now? Eh? <laughs> me next. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, the next me? one's a, a bit of a weird one for me. Um, I've only seen it once, and that was God. It must have been about coming up five years ago now, but it's it's stuck with me pretty uh pretty big time. And I think Sean's watched it recently, and you can imagine why it's probably stuck with me. And that's uh, Martha's. That's the French version, and um, it's disgusting. It's one of the most horrifying films I've ever seen in my life. So if you like horrors, you will fucking really enjoy this. Uh, it was theatrically released in France on the 3rd of September 2008, which, uh, is that five years ago? Old as you is, Jeff. Twelve years ago. Yeah. What year are you living in, son? Oh, <laughs> oh, I don't know, anything past, like, 2013, it's all a blur. Uh, but, yeah, pretty much the premise is about, there's... I don't know where to start with this one. There's a company that is investigating what happens after death. So they take people to the brink of death and they get this kind of glazed look in their eye where they're kind of in between the both realms and they're considered to be like martyrs then. So the start of the film is one of the girls that they were experimenting on where they kind of beat them half to death and she comes back for revenge on the family that were... the the family that were like keeping her captive, pretty much. Do you think that kind of covers it, Sean? Pretty much. I can, I can, I can remember you telling me about this film on a country walk you and sad. Oh, it's it's 
And I never watched it. My <laughs> own fault. I should have watched it then and there. I you my started answer. with the big reveal, though. You started with the big reveal about the achieving the state yeah. of living death or whatever. That is the... In between, yeah, yeah. But that's the company's goal, isn't it? And uh, they've got, like, the seemingly normal family guard in this... Uh, I don't know, torture dungeon... I guess they call it, but it's so dark. Like I had to pause it halfway through and go for a joint. It was, it was. <laughs> I don't think I could do it again. Was it, it um, was it that psychologically disturbing that you literally needed to step away from? It? Is that what you're saying? Like? It was, it was a lot. Like it really was. There's a scene where there's this woman that's been in the experiment for so long, and her, her body is basically just scar tissue, completely like sliced with ra- I don't she's fucked like and she got this metal thing on her head and it's bolted in and they start peeling it off when she's in the bath and it's, it is grim <laughs> is it a French yeah. language film pardon is it a French language film it is yeah yeah is. I think there was an American remake this uh, that was done 2015 2015 yeah yeah so uh, you know if I'm guessing that's not anywhere near as gruesome as the original then I can't imagine it would be is does the remake have the same name as well? Yeah, yeah, got the same name and uh and everything, but I I can't imagine it'd be as gruesome as the the original would be. It uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was going to be another like, oh, how disgusting is this going to be? But it's it's got it's got a nice story to it as well. Which yeah, kind of it, yeah. it not justifies the violence, but explains the violence yeah it's not oh. just like your standard uh would you class as a poor gone poor gore film yeah, <laughs> like snuff porn or whatever the fucking yeah. yeah i know what you mean yeah like um like hostile and all that mm. but um again i think that is i see i see what that term means but yeah i mean with it reminds me there's only one film i've seen i know there's a few films i've seen that are worse than that but the one that everyone talks about as in the most the worst of the worst of films of that nature is a Serbian film. Um, uh. But the difference, I think, I won't go into a Serbian film. I don't want to talk about it. It's fucking trash. But um, the difference between a Serbian film and Martyrs is that they both have this kind of deep or kind of weird plot to kind of drive the insane <laughs> violence. But whereas Serbian film, it just feels like an excuse showed the most horrendous things you could possibly think of showing on matters, which isn't quite as horrendous, but is still pretty bad. Um, it's plot doesn't feel like an excuse. It feels like it's all part of the part and parcel. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've got to see the suffering to exactly. see the plot. Like. And when you see, when the plot is all, when the reveal comes that it, they're these religious nuts or like this really, they're, they're like a really well-funded kind of like cult cult or catholic like really catholic like opus Dei kind of cult and they're like just trying to you know they just they don't care about the human sacrifices they're making they're trying to just um they're on some like religious quest to achieve was it what what do they say is it transcendence or something it's like it's like that you're ascended you're you're like alive but you're in heaven or whatever and you you're you're gone like you know there's that look in in your eye like up in the moments of death you're like i don't know if it's that bit where you're like your life's supposed to rush before your eyes or whatever but they're like trying to like achieve that permanent state but i don't really understand because obviously they do these horrendous things to the people they capture to get that to happen yeah 
But what happens then? Are they going to go and do that they, themselves? They report or? back to them, don't they? They like is she talks. She talks to the one they're doing it to in the end, and they kind they, of they want to tell them what happens after death. Like, they, yeah, that's it. Are they trying to see beyond death? So they know that there's definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, there's a big spoiler which I'm not going to say, which now makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It sounds interesting. Now that's that. That sounds like a film that I would probably enjoy because I do. I, I like good horror films. Um, I also like equally like shit horror films as well. I'd say, I would say I don't want to say I wouldn't say it was a horror movie. I say yeah. it was a like a thriller or like a, just a really violent action like movie. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Okay, that's still that, that that appeals. Yeah, I I I watch that. I'd have to check it out. Thinking about it now, though, I think it kind of answers its own question at the start because you get the one that the experiment's been done on that escaped. And she sees like that that creature. It's only in that like one bit of the film, but I think that answers the question that from the start, really. You want you ain't supposed to go over that line, you. It's like Final Destination. You don't go over that line, otherwise it comes back for you. What's that film with Keith Sutherland in it? Flatliners. You know they start. Flatliners. They go out. They kill themselves, and then they like a bunch a bunch of fucking med students. They're like trying to go beyond death and then be resuscitated. So they can see beyond death, but then all these demons. There was a remake of that as well. It's the uh, same kind of thing. Whereas she's seen beyond death, and now she can't unsee mad shit. Yeah, she may not be off. there. Um, yeah, exactly. You're messing with things which shouldn't be messed with, like Ouija boards and all that nonsense, isn't it? But um, <laughs> it's like, it's bro, like is don't fuck around with the other side, like. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm talking loads in, in my film. Sorry. Um, it's fucking oh, great. I really enjoyed it. I would never have watched it. I would have kept the yeah, air Christ in there. You've been talking about it for fucking donkey's years. Because of this podcast, I sat down and watched it, and it was fucking banging. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I'll get around yeah. to it, son. I will get around to it, definitely. Yeah. I don't know if I'll watch it again. Don't know if I will. <laughs> nah, it's not a repetitive watching, really. No. <laughs> One and done. Leng yeah. uh, Shi. I'll two words, Leng Shi. Leng Shi. Google it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so my film, my second film is Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Um, I think this, of all the Tarantino films, this is my favourite one. Um, just just because of how just over the top it is in a lot of ways. And I know a lot of Tarantino films are over the top, but I like... Everything from uh, what's his name Han- Hans Lander to uh, uh, Aldo Rain. It's just it's it's just insane. So, quick premise um, set in World War Two, uh, the time of Hitler um, having his rampage through Europe. Uh, America decide to send a team of commandos called the bastards into uh, France to try and uh, kill loads of Nazis. Um, this is led by Brad Pitt's character, Aldo Rain. Um, and basically they, they, just, they go in there to try and kill as many Nazis as they can and hopefully kill Hitler, essentially. And they like scalping them as well, which is another, uh, <laughs> which is another well, weird uh, thing to chuck in the film, uh, considering it's like a, uh, I think in America. Wait, wait, is it set? Is it set in America or Germany? No, it's set in Germany. 
Oh, right. Oh, sorry, no, no, set in France, technically. France. Um, yeah. Um, but it's like the scalping bit. That always, that always kind of like was all. Because that's mostly associated with um, American Red Indians. American Indians, yeah. I was just thinking that. I know, when it's like um, the Americans but, invaded there and then they done that to them. It's... Yeah, because like Aldo Rain always says that he wants his Nazi scalps. He wants... Fuck, I can't remember how many scalps he wants from each each person, but he likes his scalps and he wants his scalps. You know, um, the the funny thing is, the in, Red Indians in America were actually taught to scalp bloody hell, cat. Which actually, <laughs> what's going? Someone's texting or ringing me or something. All right. Um, yeah, the Red Indians in America. It, this in real history now. They were taught the scalp by um, the British colonists. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. That's an interesting tidbit. I believe, I believe that's true. Anyway, um, hope, if I'm wrong, I'm sure someone will tell me and, and fact check that. But um, they're back to English bastards. Why do they teach them that? I have no idea, but interesting. Yeah, um, but if I'm wrong, I'm sure someone will correct me on that. Um, but yeah, English bastards. Um, at the same time, um, obviously Hitler is gathering Jews, and um, Hans Lander, who is Christoph Waltz's character, who is like sort of the main the main villain of the whole thing. Um, he is basically the head of um, collecting all these Jews across France. And he, at the, at the very start of the film, you see him go into a farm and um, this Frenchman is actually housing some Jews under his floorboards. And Hans Lander comes in and, you know, he says, you know, are you, he's really intimidating. And the, the great thing about his character is, Christoph Waltz is brilliant to play the villain. Anyway, he's just got that demeanor of you know playing a villain. But what also plays a part is the music, like the score. Whenever Hans Lander is on screen, you just get this feeling of impending doom because of the music that accompanies him whenever he's on screen. And I think that's something that sometimes goes um, goes over people's heads. You know, just every everyday cinema. You know, you go to the cinema to watch a film or whatever, and be like, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. You know, it was all blood and guts and all this stuff. But it's little things like that that make you appreciate, the, you know, the, the amount of detail that goes into the films, especially Tarantino films. He's really good at doing stuff like that. Um, and it's just like the same with, I think, Aldo Rain. I think he has, uh, he has like a theme. It happens in a lot of films where people have their own themes throughout the film. So it's like a signifier of when that person's on screen or coming in. It's called in. a leaf motif. That's the one, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, uh, the technical term for it. Yeah, it's like, so, it's like the Darth Vader thing, and that, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's actually something that in the the Marvel movies they completely fucked because they just didn't do it from. Well, they tried to do it from the start and then completely abandoned it in their sequels, and they were just like, "What the fucking point in that?" Do you but, imagine Endgame when everyone has their own theme song? <laughs> that would be no thing is though. That would be epic because yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. you could actually have like a crossover of these songs. You get a good composer to actually interwine them, and it would be this epic battle thing. What was it? that epic battle fucking flash animation? <laughs> Remember that? I forget what it was called. What was that? The greatest fight in history or something. It's got like Batman and super all the superheroes fighting. Fuck never mind. Never mind. <laughs> um uh but yeah, so in true Tarantino fashion, this film is pretty violent. Um and <laughs> the uh the bit where they finally because the the other character who is played by uh what's her name? 
uh, Melanie Laurent. She's very like you don't know her by name, but you know her by her face. It's one of those sort of actresses. Um, her character is a a Jew that actually escaped the house that Hans Lander visits at the beginning of the film, and um, she runs off. Um, after all of her family is slaughtered under the floorboards by the German soldiers shooting into the ground. Um, and Hans Lander remembers that. And there's a bit later on in the film where there's um, a German film that's being shown, uh, being premiered um, about this sniper who kills off all these uh, British and Allied troop soldiers from one tower and he kills hundreds oh, of them and they made it into a film. And the guy is... Uh, um, the guy's playing himself and he's in this small French village where um, Melanie Laurent's character is, is owns a cinema she inherited off her aunt and um, also we think anyway um, under a different name as well because she's got a Jewish name so it's changed her name so she doesn't uh, raise suspicion um, and he basically falls for her and he falls for her so much that he really wants to impress her and he gets his film, which is like this massive deal in German cinema, to be premiered in her cinema, which is a tiny little cinema. Um, and the, in the end, they, they, get, they get this film premiered in this cinema and Hitler is due to arrive at the cinema as well to watch this film because, you know, this guy is a German hero for slaying all these uh, Allied troops. And... That scene, like, they, they plan then to blow up the cinema and everyone inside it, including Hitler. Um, and at the same time, Aldo Rain and his bastards, they know about this, so they get an invite to that to do exactly the same thing, although Marilyn Lorenz's character is also going to just blow it up or kill every, everyone inside it. And, uh, yeah, the bit where they're shooting Hitler in the face on the floor repeatedly is something that, that is, uh, <laughs> is fantastic. <laughs> but, um, it's a bit it's, like in... Um... Tropic Thunder, is it, with Adam Sandler? He's yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> ED209 blasting that businessman in Robocop 1. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Adam Sandler, though, was it? Tropic Thunder. Isn't it Adam Sandler? Well, oh, he's no. like shot the fuck. Ben it's Ben Stiller. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, there's, there's, there's a good bit of comedy in the film as well, which I like. Um, and Journal. Bongiorno, Gorlami. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, those bits are funny. And like Mike Myers is in it as well, which was a welcome surprise. You know, it's, it's a decent cast. I mean, you got Mike Myers, well, Brad Pitt, obviously, Christopher Waltz, Mike Myers, Eli Roth, Michael Fassbender. Um, of course, Eli Roth is the black haired American guy, isn't he? he he's, the, he's the Bay Jew, yeah. Yeah. Eli <laughs> Roth is the director of Hostel. Yeah. All oh, right. Bay- Beju is um, Donny Donowitz, and he is feared amongst the German sh- soldiers because <laughs> he has a baseball bat, and he'll just cave their head in if uh, if they're captured, basically. Um, so yeah, but going going back to uh, Melanie Lorenz's character, there was a scene where Hans Lander meets her to discuss security for the um, the premiere. And when they're in this restaurant, he sits down and the waitress comes over and asks them for a drink. And he, I think he asks for a coffee. And then he looks at her and says, a glass of milk. And the glass of milk is, uh, is, is relevant because where she was hiding under the floorboards originally, that guy was um, a farmer and he produced his own milk and he used to sell milk. 
So Hans Lander knew exactly who she was uh, from the start of the film, and he knew all along who she was. But obviously, he couldn't just capture her and do whatever because her cinema is now this, that, and the other, and his German war hero is in love with her and all this shit, so he's not going to bother doing that. But he knew exactly who he was. And that little tiny detail of a glass of milk, it was just like, oh my fucking God. That's, it's just those little things that I really like about, about that film that, that really do it for me, to be honest. Um, yeah, but there's loads of other people in the film as well. So I definitely worth so. Huh? I'd imagine there'd be more people uh, in there. There's a fair few people in there, Tom, I <laughs> nah, but um but yeah, definitely worth a watch for uh it's it's not it's not it's like it's not quite a comedy and it's not quite an action film in my eyes, it's kind of a blur of the both. You know. It's um it reminds me a lot of Django Unchained. It's got the same kind of I don't know, it's the same you know, use this mad story set in this historical setting. And um I don't know. They're both kind of revenge premises as well, I guess. Yeah, a lot yeah. of Tarantino stuff is, isn't it? Yeah. Weird in, in that regard. A lot of his films are really similar, though, but in they're not at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, like, long... Again, someone who's long, long, long dialogue scenes. Yeah. Fucking Tarantino. There's a bit in Inglorious Bastards when they're all sitting... Oh, they're all sitting down in, like, some bar and they've all got these beers and they just talking for ages and you just know it's tension it's just like ah. uh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like an enemy of the state moment like the ending is, of enemy of the state and they're all that, just who's gonna pull a gun out first is that is that the three moment is it yeah i think so yeah where they like one of them's got a really tall weiss glass yeah <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's michael fassbender giving it away in it the british the british spy uh ordered three beers rather than three beers because that's how they do it in germany and that's how they do it elsewhere what do you do what do you lot do for three for three i go like huh? that yeah i'm i'm that i, I don't really know to be honest <laughs> <laughs> oh wait there we go why would you do any other way i just look weird i just look weird just three i just look weird just three yeah that's three i don't Germans, really know i, I guess really know. no to, to, do, to do it the other way, I've got to think about doing it that way. Really? Well, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how weird. Does, how does the guy from Bullet for My Valentine do it? Like that. Oh, you can't count. <laughs> <laughs> On the count of three. Uh. Count of three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you have to think about doing the uh, Live Long and Prosper thing? No, that, no. I remember learning how to do this as a kid. I'm being well proud of myself. The easiest way to do it is to do that and then pull it out. <laughs> like that. It's naughty, that is, Rich. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. <laughs> yeah. It's not my uh, it's not my favourite Tarantino film, I'll be honest. I like it, but it's not it's not up No, there. no, not mine either, not mine, not at all. I do enjoy the other ones I can watch over and over. That one is good, but uh it's not one I, I it's too it's too deep to watch all the time, like. Now I find that Kill Bill, I didn't enjoy it. I I didn't really find them. And like that's the one that's always revered and everyone's favourite, I guess. Pulp Fiction is a cracking film. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. I just I just really liked Singlorous Bastards. It was just a film that after a first watch, I was just like, 
fuck, I really enjoyed that. And I think I think an element was to do with like the scoring and everything and, and all that. Just those little things that go behind it is I really appreciated all of that stuff. I guess. It's not to say that they're not in other Tarantino films because they are, but no. Stood um, out in that one like. Yeah. A little tidbit about Pulp Fiction. Do you know the scene with the the injection? That was like filmed in reverse, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It always makes me cringe that does. <laughs> yeah. Adrenaline shot to the heart. It's like, oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's, I think that's pretty much all I've got on it. Um, again. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll look on this. Any of you guys have got anything to check in on and chime in? Oh, good film. Yeah, uh, good, good, enjoyable film. But just as I said, not not my favorite of the Tarantino bunch. What's your favorite? Cat? Very two like short stories film? from Springfield. Well, <laughs> out, I mean, out the Tarantino films now. That's not my yeah, favorite yeah. one. Yeah, but I yeah. Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction, obviously. Okay. Yeah, it's the tie between Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs is pretty, pretty depressing. <laughs> to be honest with you. But, uh, I'm fucking dying here. I'm fucking dying. Great. Yeah, man. Uh, want to go on to you, Sean? Boom. Boom, 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 boom. Um, so, um, my second film is the Ridley Scott uh, sci-fi epic um, Blade Runner, based on uh, Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, a novel okay. from, from 1968, which... Have you read that, Tom? Yeah. I haven't read yeah. it. Good book. Very good book. Short, about 300 pages. Fly through it. It's good. Like. Flying them right up there. I, I, um, I found the thing that the, the film missed out with the book is Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is because the because it's dystopian future. There's no animals around. So no, the animal no you get is the... Um, like start the symbol if you get a real animal then you're super rich but if you get like an electric one then you're kind of lower class like so he's got this electric sheep living on his roof that's like breaking down all the time and stuff it's, it's good a stripper says in blade runner he, he goes to her is that a real snake she's like if i could afford a real snake i won't be working a job like this yeah yeah um, there you go. So there's a big scene in the you know the detective part of the film when he's trying to find out the manufacturer of the fake snake but uh yeah oh, top snack there's the owl as well isn't it, in the, the big building the, owl. the owls with the eyes yeah the owls are not what they seem <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so um yeah i mean so blade runner has, has anyone not seen blade runner me oh wow that's incredible yeah, enjoyed it, I think. Yeah, most definitely. Not, not through like purposely not seeing it. It's just I just haven't got around to watching it. So, so basically, you know, uh, try and keep it kind of vague because I don't want to spoil it for you. But um, these these it's basically the first two episodes of Star Trek Picard. Um, there's these <laughs> synths. <laughs> Um, that they use for like work camps and all sorts of other different reasons. You know, basically, in the end, the synths they get outlawed off planet Earth. So when the synths try and sneak back to Earth, people hunt them down. Those people are called Blade Runners. Um, so a bunch of synths steal an attack ship and, and fly to Earth. Um, so Harrison Ford, being a Blade Runner, has to hunt them down uh, and terminate them. <laughs> I'll be back. Um, but yeah, being uh, a very 
intros not introspective but it's a bit deeper than that that's basically the the plot in a nutshell um but you know you know this is gonna go you know where it's gonna go even though i didn't know where it was gonna go you know where it's gonna go who's a fucking robot who isn't a fucking robot everyone looks like a fucking robot nothing is real everything is real and it kind of just gets a bit convoluted um it is one of the uh sci-fi epics really um the reason i included it in my list is that i've yet christed it my entire life and um i finally watched it and was just blown away by it even though it was like is it early 80s late 70s early 80s played around it was just after 80s, yeah. just after star wars the, th- the, f- the first trilogy so it was 1982 and um yeah it was like um 2019 yes yeah, 2019 i watched it literally in the year that it's supposed to be set and um yeah and it's like the, the perfect dystopian future like it's got all these like tropes from the noir genre of the early you know turn of the century noir films like with the detectives and their duster coats and it's always raining and life is miserable and everyone's reading the newspaper and like nobody can afford to do anything and there's smooth jazz playing in the background and uh you know the world's gone to shit essentially um it's all just consumerism and you know the air is bad and you know it's basically where we're headed but um (laughs) i fell i fell in love with blade runner because of how how it looked it just looks fucking amazing i don't really care that much about the story and there's not many films that can say that about i was just uh i was in from the from the word go i was in from the way they filmed the, the, the cityscapes as well like have you seen how they done it with they got like model replicas like proper old school tiny like, models yeah and it's but, a massive city it's yeah nuts, man. Wicked, it's like. fucking great like you know proper old old school style but um it's a troubled history, Blade Runner. Like it, um, it got well, not panned, but you know when it, it didn't even get released in its original form because, like, everyone was like, it got to the point where, because I imagine that the novel's probably quite abstract in in some ways, and they're like they didn't really. It was a nightmare, absolute fucking nightmare to work on, and in the end, it got creative control got taken away from Ridley Scott because he was dicking around with it too much. And um, they brought Harrison Ford back to do a voiceover <laughs> to explain the plot. This is how uh, convoluted it gets. Well, like so, a um, Dexter narrative. Exa- exactly. But like, a, like a noir detective narrating to today, the case, I'm going down here and I'm going to investigate this. It's like that. I've not actually seen the theatrical cut. Um, it's hard to get a hold of now. But, um, that was the original release. If you saw Blade Runner in the cinema, what you would have seen is a different ending. Um, it's a good end. It's a happy ending, and um, it wraps up in a nice Hollywood bow. And the whole thing is narrated, so there's no mistakes about what's going on. Um, there was then a director's cut, which wasn't a director's I think cut. I watched. The, I think I watched a director's cut. Maybe the director's it, cut isn't actually a director's cut, though, which is really confusing. <coughs> there was no involvement from Ridley Scott. And then in 1997, possibly the date's wrong. There was a final cut which Ridley Scott went back and cut it how it was supposed to be. So it doesn't have an optimistic ending. And um, yeah, the narrative was removed and there's a bunch of dream sequences thrown in there. I love my dream sequences. Um, so yeah, it's I mean... Mercer. It's- Mer- Mercer. Uh, there was a religion in the book of this guy pushing 
kind of like Sisyphus, I guess, trying to push a boulder up a hill, like, you know, but he could never really get to the top. And there was his struggle again up there. Is that in the film or all? I can't remember that. Not that I recall, no. That's I'll be honest big, with you. Big part of it as well, like that is. And there's mood enhancers in the book as well. They wake up and they take or tune into like a frequency, I think it is. It was a long time ago, but they tune into that. It levels your mood, like. Sounds like that stuff in Brave New World. They all take mood shit in that. Have you seen that? Have you heard that? No, I've no, read I, that I mean into. It's a similar kind of thing, actually, the Blade Runner in many respects. But, um,. Yeah, the point. The reason I the reason I included Blade Runner was because it's not so much the sci-fi story and the nice classic sci-fi dilemma that it presents to you in a la many episodes of Star Trek. Um, it'd be a perfect episode of Star Trek. That's why when I'm watching the plot, when I'm watching Star Trek Picard, and it's all these fucking synths gone rogue, I'm like, they've outlawed synths on Earth. I'm just like, man, this is fucking Blade Runner. But um. Yeah, so it's it's a, I guess a fairly typical sci-fi plot, um, you know. But it's just I don't know. I can't really explain. It's just it's so amazing. The soundtrack by a is a guy called Vangelis, and um, or Vangelis maybe I'm not sure. The soundtrack is phenomenal. It's like this big orchestra, but also with all these synthesizers and shit. Like you know, it's like it's fucking incredible, and it just looks amazing, and it's grim but at the same time it's really like bright and futuristic and yeah it's a great film is it so yeah i'll, I'll stop there because i'm waffling a bit but yeah i will i will check it out um what's the because they released another one didn't they? <coughs> that's a sequel that's set 40 odd years i think after the first one i think barra's that... watched out haven't he is that any Check-out good that one, yeah is that any good i haven't seen yeah. it yeah. So in the cinema. Oh. I have to I have to watch them both. Um, is it is one of like you said it's the one of the sort of premier sci-fi films I guess of uh, of cinema. So I will have to watch it at some point. I'll give it a watch. Highly recommended. I don't know how the second one ties in. I think the second one makes a lot of assumptions to the questions which are left unanswered in the end of Blade Runner. So for that reason, I haven't watched the, the new one. And it wasn't Ridley Scott either, was it? I don't think it was someone no. else. So like, mind, it's like, I know it's like saying watching Star Wars isn't George Lucas, but that doesn't count anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a better example. Um, just, mind you, Ridley Scott didn't write, it was Philip K. Dick book. So, I mean, anyone can do a Blade Runner film, really, essentially, you know? Blade Runner was a title they just tacked onto it at the end because they couldn't think of a good name for it. Um, to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep is not uh, really a consumable. Like, <laughs> yeah. Blade Runner is actually, a sh- I think it's a short story by William Burroughs. They just borrowed the title. It reminds me of um, the, the title uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats. In yeah. a way. <laughs> is, that Phil, is that something Ronson? Will Ronson yeah, it's film? to do with the Philadelphia experiment, isn't it? I think it's actually, it's actually a good film. I've got it on Blu ray. I've got a few of his it's books, that film. chap. Is Tom Waits in that? Am I thinking it's Seven Psychopaths? That's possibly. Seven Psychopaths. That's, that's good. That's good. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. But yeah, has is, is anyone. You've seen Blade Runner, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for a long time, hell of a long time. I can't even remember half of it. Not for a hell of a long time. <laughs> Not a problem. The second one I saw recently, obviously more recently, but uh, yeah, it'll be a short series of like cartoons and like mangas in between. 
they were like a build up for the the second film they are little five minute things you know i don't think it was like a proper series but yeah i would go into the more the philosophical elements of blade runner but as soon as richard hasn't seen it and we are pressed for time i will leave those out are you gonna um, look into cyberpunk 2044 when that comes out i don't know the the, the name turns me off it um but like cyberpunk and, and neo-noir are very loosely related aren't they so it's yeah. not um, i don't know i what i've seen in cyberpunk doesn't really look like my thing but i don't know we'll see nah, i thought it was out is it not out yet fucking no, hell no no they're advertising it for fucking yonks they're gonna make it good i, I got faith in them I think Keanu is about. Gotta get that Keanu in. Cool sim as fuck. <laughs> uh, should we. Oh, uh, was it Gareth? Gareth, you got your third, your third and final film, but. Yeah. Um, so. The main reason I chose it was because it was a massive talking point of, uh, of last year, film wise, uh, is the film Parasite, the Korean language film. Uh, yeah, so uh, we've all seen it, haven't we? Now, have we seen it all? I've seen it. Uh, oh. sorry, right? Yeah, so uh, essentially, um, family, uh, living in extreme poverty, um, well, more or less, uh, living in like a basement thing in an alleyway. They fall in pizza boxes that they've got to fold these correctly and so many or whatever, even to get a few, whatever currency they're in. So, they're doing that, um. Yeah, so then basically, um, a university student, um, who's slightly more well off, I get the impression of, he gives him some kind of like crystal, some kind of rock thing. I'm trying to find the name of it. Um, good scholar's rock, rock. scholar's go. rock, and it's meant to promise wealth and and uh, and good fortune to him. So he leaves that with the family, so, and then further down the line, he leaves to go and study elsewhere, but he was teaching. Um, the son of quite a wealthy family. And what he does is he offers his job position to the son of the Kim family. So he offers him his job, basically, uh, which is an English tutor. And what's the, what's the what's the little boy's name now? It's got a funny name, isn't it? can't remember, man. Sorry. <laughs> All the cor- too many Korean like names that. in one film for me to remember. I can't them. remember his name. Yeah, but anyway, um, the the um, the chap obviously goes and get, gets gets a job in then with that family and basically the the entire premise of that film is about the kim family infiltrating the way um within to that kind of wealthy family am i am i along the right lines there i think that's a very so i like are they the parasites could well be who is the parasite that is the good question we are I all I parasites i won't i just say i won't I won't go deeply. I won't go deeply any further into the film. But the main premise of the film is about the, that family infiltrating themselves into that family, so they'll be like the driver, the cook, the nanny, the cleaner, the, the tutors, all that kind of thing. Before long, the entire family is in there. Um, and they say because it is a new film, I don't even is it is it fully out available everywhere now? I don't even know. It is now, know. yeah. It is, is it? Oh, but, um, I don't really want to. I don't really want to go too in depth with it, to be honest. Yeah. You know, as you said, I don't. Um, it's been a while now. Would you still suggest it? Is it is it held up even you know from last year? I, I imagine most people who wanted to see it as um as seen it, but basically they they are. For a moment, they, they live in the perfect lifestyle, but it all just starts to unravel when they let the 
the old cleaner lady into the house and then you know all unravels from there. I don't know if I can speak about all this though. I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird one. It's hard to explain without giving it away, really, isn't it? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. I, I'd um, basically give the entire film away if I was to talk about it right now. So would you yeah. still say to like I know, still watch I, it? I can talk about some of the awards and whatnot. It's had um, it's like the highest growth in South Korean film ever. Uh, best picture, best director, best original screenplay, best original feature film. Uh, the it cleaned up at Grammys so, and whatnot. Yeah. What I was I was going to mention. I'm glad you mentioned the awards because there was a bit of, I guess controversy online about it winning because it's the first ever non-english film to win best picture right in the yeah, academy awards so um a lot of people online um, i say people americans um they were quite um upset that a non-english non-american film won best picture at the oscars when the oscars isn't actually like it isn't an America, like it's obviously set in America every year and the awards and all that, but it's not just American, is it? The Academy. It's, it's rare that a film that's foreign or that foreign, to lack of a better way of putting it, it infiltrates that kind of industry. And obviously, there's yeah. a huge foreign film market, but not to the point where it infiltrates like the mainstream award ceremonies. I'm not saying uh, Parasite is a mainstream film, but a lot of people, I would never have watched it if it wasn't for all the buzz about it. Um, and if you had, if, well, again, if Gareth, if you had, if you hadn't had picked it as one of the films, I probably never would have watched it. Never. So you know, it's it had it had a lot of buzz about it. even before it won all these awards, that's the thing. That's why I I kind yeah, of got into it. it uh, the main parasite, I thought it had something to do with like coronavirus or something like that. You know, zombies like, or something like, like, the, yeah. like, like the film Contagion, yeah. like that. That's what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I didn't. It's absolutely nothing like what I. Thought it, <laughs> what I, I thought that, it was. I know this as well. The um, just just because I, I got the thing up here, its budget its budget was eleven point four million dollars US dollars, um, and it made at the box office two hundred and sixty six million. It's it's oh, like yeah. it's like an indie film. It's like an indie film. It's it's not a massive budget film. Obviously, no. really, it's well made, but like eleven million quid is a lot of money. Obviously, but um, obviously, films you know they cost hundreds of millions to make. Yeah, look at so, the Marvel films. Exactly, yeah. 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 But there was, um, I guess, when we were discussing this originally, there was a bit of, I wouldn't say controversy, it was a, a difference in opinion of foreign language films, if you remember. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Where I said, um, I, I personally don't like watching foreign language films because I don't watch a film to read. I watch a film to listen and to be entertained by it. I don't want to be reading subtitles all the time. Uh, I know. I, I I thought that was a ridiculous statement. And that's, but... that's not that's not me. That's not me. That's not me hating on just you know speak English or die, motherfuckers. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not <laughs> yeah, me. yeah, 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 yeah. It's just me. That's just my preference, you know. And I know there are plenty of good films out there that are foreign. I have watched films, foreign films that are just pure subtitles. I just don't enjoy doing it. Um, you just get used to it. I find. Yeah. I watch millions yeah. of foreign language films. I remember seeing Pan's Labyrinth in the cinema and I forgot my glasses. Oh. <laughs> 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 I don't know, fucking clue what was going on. But yeah, like I, I don't know. I, I, I it's just that's just my preference. And I, I, I uh, it's because they're like like the was it Martha's you were on about earlier, Tom? Because like, that's all subtitles and stuff as well. But it's like the premise of it sounds good, but then at, at the same time, it's like can I sit through loads of subtitles? I know some people who watch films with subtitles on anyway, like 
in I, general, do I do that. I do that. I, 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 I can't do that. Like it's I just, often do that. It's, you just get a bit deeper understanding of it sometimes. You do. Well. You miss so much. You don't realize how much you miss. You don't think yeah. you're missing it, but you do miss it. Um, yeah. I don't agree. I don't agree. I find them irritating, and they they block out the picture for me. It's just there's. But I'm on too big, but you know, <laughs> the wrong trousers on. Nah, 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 nah. nah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my, my my main reason for for picking Parasite was at the time when we were originally going to do this cast, it was a it was yeah. a big talking point. Was. Um, obviously it's dwindled down since then but that's that's the only reason it's not even a favourite film I wouldn't even particularly say I'd want to watch it more than two or three times but that's what it was I wanted to bring it up and wanted to speak about it would you push it, it to uh, four times though? could you push it to four? well I don't know I've seen it I've seen it once twice possibly that's that's enough now that's, um, I don't think I'd watch it again it's got it a nice no I wouldn't time. watch it again I'll watch it now it's a ninety-nine percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Is that critic rating or fan rating? Exactly. The fan rating is the only one that matters. Oh, look. Because sometimes you see the critics' rating is like up here. Yeah. Fan rating. So the critics' rating is ninety-nine, um, but the audience score is ninety. So it's yeah, still, not bad. That's <laughs> fucking still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, the, the yeah. Dave Chappelle one and uh, Amy Schumer's new one, like the comparison in the the critics and the audience, brilliant. Brilliant, like Doctor Who's one. You're the, the female-led Doctor Who. I can't think of her name, I'm afraid, but um, the, the fucking audience goes. That's so bad. Julie Whittaker, that's the one, isn't it? I do apologize. But, um, yeah. It's not my type of film. I wouldn't recommend Parasite to anyone, but I did enjoy it. So, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really, really good film. But, uh, again, it's not something I keep going back to all the time in uh-huh. terms of that kind of enjoyment. Enjoyed it in terms of the story was brilliant and it was very well done, etc. But it's not a film I keep watching all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's, that's, that's all I can say on it, really. I mean, that, that is all I can say on it. It is what it is. It's all I can say on it, really. It is what it is. And if it isn't what it is, um, then it isn't what I it want, is. I won't go any... I won't go any further into it because there's a lot of people who want to see it and still haven't seen it, perhaps whatnot, yeah. I don't know. Essentially, though, I'll, I'll give you a brief sum up of the story. It's about a, a quite a poor poor career family. Um, son, son, gets, son gets a decent job in with, in, in with a, a well-earning, well-paid family, um, and he's, he want, wants to get the rest of the family in, in on it, and they all infiltrate themselves within the household and the various different jobs, such as a driver, a cop cleaner, teacher, blah, blah, blah. And that's it. That's it, basically. And then it spirals from there, then, and it all falls apart for them. But I won't tell you any more than that. Uh, what what, what genre would you say Parasite was? Ooh, I don't know. It's strange because it's, it's a... I don't know. I've got the official genre, but I don't know if any of you... I don't know if any of you want to guess. Because I, I, I didn't I'm think... I'm going to say comedy drama. Something Ooh, like that. You're really cool. I'm a comedy... <laughs> It's a thriller comedy. <laughs> comedy? Yeah, I know. That's the th- bit that threw me. I didn't realise it was a comedy. Oh. I said it was a comedy, but there's a lot of funny moments in it. Yeah. But, yeah, just to genreize it. Fair. Interesting. What's next on the magic list, Dan? Yeah. Is it my go? Uh, it is yours, but... Um, yeah, I picked the next one because... Pretty much, it was the introduction to this genre that I, I ended up loving. Like, and that's uh, 28 Days Later. I think it was the first zombie film I ever properly watched, and it scared the fucking shit out of me. 
It really did. Like, and uh, God, this was on the list. I love this film. Yeah, it's, it's it's really good. I think it was a really good start introduction to the 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 genre as well at the time. Like, because I was still quite. Yeah, I was still quite young when it came out, and even the bit of the start with the monkeys, that's fucking shit. Yep, like you know, <laughs> but, uh, I think uh, to wrap it up though, eco terrorists release this, uh, release these monkeys from a cage. So they were like being tested on. They bite the scientist, and it just psh, pretty much coronavirus time. Like, yeah. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> <As we> parades. <laughs> yeah. They they transmit rage, uh, which uh, if any of the blood gets in you, you you turn into like, this rampage and creature. Um, it's one I of the um, it's one of those films as well where the poster and like the cover of it and then the font of the actual film is so recognisable. Like definitely I'll the red, like even the red. Yeah, yeah, it's very well done. I, I do like the design of that poster and the music. The music still used in things now. Yeah. It's brilliant. Like, um, it's uh, Godspeed You Black Emperor, isn't it? A post rock band. I know it's called In a Minute in a Heartbeat. I'm not sure who who made it though. But they remade it for the new uh, Metro Exodus game, and it's, it's fantastic, even though it is. But I think what I liked about the film was it's got like the feeling of isolation proper. Like, they, they're just on their own kind of thing. like, And it, it just stuck with me, really did. Great film. Danny have you, have Boyle, seen it? Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I've seen it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. A while it's ago. It's a great film. Yeah. It's, it's different from your normal zombie film, I think, though. Like, uh, I, I can't can't say why. It's probably scarier because they sprint in you full speed. But yeah, they're not just zombie-ish, are they? They vary yeah. quick. They're not stereotypical, are they? Mm. So it, it, it introduced me to the Of the Dead series and all that. That didn't George A. Romero and I proper like got into all that stuff. Like loved it, sparked all that off. They, they're pretty decent movies, man. The Of the Dead's as well. Yeah, they hit and miss, man. I think the Of mm. the Dead's. Yeah, they're all a bit. Again, which, a lot of very isolated films. Except when until the later ones, they get a bit mad. But um, which is the one where they're in the back of this van that they've made and they've got like chainsaws like sticking out of the side oh, and then they like, land, land of the, of the dead. dead. So, yeah, okay. and like she pulls a chainsaw out of the hole and then they turn a corner sharply and she falls oh. into that guy and just fucking cuts him. Isn't there that one where they're like playing in a band? The zombies are like standing on the side of the road and they got like guitars and stuff. And I think so. I remember like that, that bit. I'll be honest. That was that was the bit that really stuck with me because, like, I, I think I'm sure I've said on this cast before that I've got this mental fear of like chainsaws and swords in general. But unrational. I think it's just from years of watching those horror films that it's just put in my head like, oh shit, I'm gonna lose my arm if I go near that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, that bit's always stuck with me. Like. That film, anyway. Uh, 28 days later, it's funny you mentioned Doctor Who because the army fella later on in the film, he was uh, one of the doctor. He was the first doctor, well, first modern doctor. Yeah, what's his name? I, I keep thinking it's Ralph Fiennes, but it's not. Eccleston, Christopher Eccleston. Christopher Eccleston. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Got peaky fucking blinders is in it. You got um, Mad Eye Moody from Harry Potter. He's in it. Um, peaky blinders in it. Uh, Cillian Murphy. Is he in it? Tommy fucking Shandy. Oh, he's the he fucking main guy. Yeah, we don't look like Cillian <laughs> Murphy, does it? Because he's so haggard and skinny looking. Yeah. You know, obviously, Cillian Murphy is skinny, but um, he looks like a totally different person in, in 28 Days Later. Like. Yeah, well, it's uh, directed by Danny Boyle, who did Train Spot in 28 Days Later. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, it's a good. It's a good film. Um, have you seen Have you seen Twenty Eight Days Later, Gar? Again, not for a long time. I couldn't tell you anything about it at the moment. Long time when it came out, I think. Whenever it came out, when did it come out? Two thousand and two. Yeah, eighteen years ago. Wow, really? I love like they, it's actually filmed in central London, but there's no one around. Oh, obviously, it'd be fucking great if they were filming it now. <laughs> like you yeah. know, trying to film it, like you yeah. know, crazy early in the morning, all the road closes, road road closures and stuff. So uh, those scenes are amazing, though. So yeah, good. I mean, just the effort involved in that, even though it's just an empty street in central London or whatever, it's just like fuck, that must have been difficult. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. And the first place he goes is the church, and it's got the end is really fucking naive painted on the wall, like, like <laughs> priest. The sequels weren't no, what weren't, you doing, father? weren't so good, were they? The sequels? Nah. I haven't seen action, any, I'll be honest. Action films, like, you know. Like, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure in the second one, they, they cut up zombies with a helicopter blade and stuff, and it's... They probably die all day, do they, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh man yeah I, I'm not going to go too much into that one it's pretty much all you can say on it really soundtrack's great the, the cinematography is good it's just yeah. good good zombie film good solid film like, yeah yeah it's good good film man. that's my third one is uh, um, it me now yeah oh, yeah oh. Uh, uh, so my third and final film is well say film it's films but it's one big story through three films and that's the lord of the rings trilogy um personally and i know there's going to be people out there and i know one person in particular who will i don't know actually but anyway um that will not agree with me on this but i reckon it is the greatest trilogy of films of all time i don't think anything else touches lord of the rings in terms of trilogies myself that includes star wars hands down um but it's, I'm sure everyone knows the story of Lord of the Rings. I'm sure I don't need to recap it, really. Um, it'd be a long recap. It'd be yeah. a long recap. <laughs> I don't know, guy finds a ring, throws it in a little volcano. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, Might be onto something there, Tom. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but yeah, the, um, the fil- like, considering it was filmed in the early, well, late 90s, early 2000s, um, it's... It like to me is still a lot of it still holds up today when you watch it back. Oh yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Gollum looks a bit dated. Yeah, there's, there's the CGI bit... doesn't age though, does it? It doesn't age well at all. Yeah, um, there's always those bits, but like what they did with, um, you know, like minus Tirith and all that stuff. Um, oh, yeah, Helm's Deep. They they use scale models, so they've done a proper Star Wars job on it. You know, you scale models on it. And then you you know do that, and then you chuck it in later on. And those bits, like yeah, you can tell that you know it's not totally real, but it's still really good and holds up well today. Hel- Helm's Deep being legendary for being a battle that was in the dark, yet you can see what's going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a thing about that. The you know in the Battle of Helm's Deep, the old guy who's got the the arrow and he's holding it, and he can't hold it, and he fires accidentally, and he shoots that orc in the head, in the, and everything just. And he's just yeah. like shit. Yeah. I, that guy died today, I think, or yesterday. That the guy who plays that guy, which is totally random. I know. I, I came up on my Google News. Um, <laughs> apparently, he was a um, he was a New Zealand actor, and he was in like New Zealand soaps as well. So, you know, he was known for other things. Um, 
But yeah, Lord of the Rings, uh, best trilogy of all time, and best, fa- well, obviously, best fantasy films of all time. It spurned many, um, or spawned, sorry, not spurned, spawned many memes in modern day as well. There's oh, yes. plenty, you know, there, there, there are plenty of Lord of the Rings memes and stuff. Um, and it also started off, I think it kick-started a, quite a few careers of the actors that are in it. I think God, I... it's it's a really good example of perfect casting. I, I don't think you really could have cast anyone any better in those films. I, it was, you know, I think Ian McKellen was the, the best choice for Gandalf. You, you never know, do you? But considering, no, early, considering early rumours were Sean Connery was going to be Gandalf initially, you think... Uh, yeah. I shoved fireworks up his jacket. <laughs> Jeez, it is it secret? Is it safe? Yeah, <laughs> it would have been awful. Um, yeah, and like Vigo Mortensen as Aragon, um, and then like basically all Sean the Bean. guys. <laughs> Sean Bean, yeah, obviously he dies. The way he dies in Lord of the Rings is pretty cool, though. I, I think it's a pretty cool death scene. Because he keeps fighting, doesn't he? One and does like, not simply. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you know when they when they fight when they fire an arrows into his chest and like they fire one arrow and he knocks it away with his sword and stuff like that and he just keeps fighting. That's pretty cool. And then in the um, in the extended edition, because if you're going to watch Lord of the Rings, you watch the extended edition. You just don't watch the bog standard one because the extended edition tells you everything in between. And it's never like, seen the extended edition. Oh, what? But, Saw them um, in the cinema. So it's a long time since I've seen them. Oh man, the extended edition it fills out all these little bits. Like in the extended edition, in the um, the two towers, uh, Sean Bean is in the two towers as well because Faramir has a, a sort of flashback to when they took um, the Ogligarth outside of Minas Tirith. And they're all like partying and cheering or whatever, and he's speaking to his brother, and then it kind of goes back to him. This is when he finds Frodo and Frodo and Sam in the yeah. uh, uh, wherever they are. But it's, yeah, it does make you think though. Like obviously, fantasy's successful again now because of Game of Thrones and stuff. Mm. I think Lord of the Rings would have been better as a TV series with like the budget of Game of Thrones. I think it would have made a with with the right. Well, if um, if Peter Jackson directed the TV show. I think they would have done that right. I think that would have been an epic TV show. But how many series? rumors that they might still do it? Well, they are doing yeah. it. It's based on. Um, it's not based on that era of Middle Earth. It's based well before. Earlier on, isn't it? But yeah. it's the same. Yeah. I I I look forward to that because I'd be interested to see more of Middle Earth. You know, well, kicking yeah. off because they thought it was a female Gandalf going in there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, was Ian McKellen said that he would be. He would be open to re- to reprising the role, but I, I think it's because I know uh, Gandalf and the what they called Mares, all the the wizards, they're all really old. But I don't think they're as old as where how far they're going back. I'm not too sure on that though. Um, uh, not sure how it works, to be honest. Yeah, um, but yeah, it would be an epic TV show. How many series? Do you travel. Think, how many? How many seasons would that run if if Lord of the Rings was a, a TV series? <laughs> Fucking, I don't know a lot. Because there's a lot they could go into. The books are fucking massive. They'd ruin you know, it. You know how much? Like it's the the books. They cut out a lot in the books. There's um there's a character in the books called Tom Bombadil who is like Bombadil. this ridiculously powerful. Is he a wizard? Even I don't know. But um, they say that he's one of the few people in Middle Earth who the Ring can't tempt. It doesn't. It just doesn't have any effect on him whatsoever. 
And when they say to give, why, why don't we leave the ring with, with Tom? Gandalf says, it's like, Tom will just forget about it. <laughs> and you, you can't, because he's just so like, like that did whatever. Um, and airheaded, I guess. But he's just ridiculously powerful. And they cut him out of the film. I don't know why. Probably logistically, I guess, people would have thought, why can't he just walk into Mordor? But <laughs> One does know. not simply just... <laughs> Yeah, and then there's also the the thing about the the uh, the griffins, eagles. the eagles rather than the griffins, the eagles at the end. Um, <laughs> why couldn't they have just taken them to the water? But I guess you you got to remember that at the time that the eagles flew in, the Nazgul and everyone had been taken down, and also Sauron was no more. Nazgul so obviously, the yeah, the eagles would have been dead as soon as they were, they flew over uh, Mordor airspace, like. So it's um... intercepted by flight jets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a trilogy that I hope I sincerely hope that it never gets remade, and that's a big hope because it's, though it's one of those things that will get remade eventually. It is a remake. It is a remake. They did the film, didn't they, years yeah. ago? Oh, it's an animated film. It, animated film, yeah, but. You know, it's horrendous. horrendous really, do, do you know? Do you know who originally had the rights to the Lord of the Rings film? George Lucas. Here's a quiz question. No I'll idea. Give you, I'll give you all. Go on. Ga- Gareth should know this one. Ga- John Candy. No. Michael Jackson. <laughs> no. You're in the right. You're in the right area, though. Well, musician wise. Yeah. David Bowie was there. No. Oh, it was. The Beatles had the rights to the Lord of the Rings films for a long Imagine time. The Beatles, Lord of the Rings, and you know, you know how they made all their films like Hard Day's Night and Help and all this stuff. They made their own films. Well, um, they originally planned to do a Lord of the Rings film where they each played a character, and then they would play more than one character. I think, um, and yeah, it sounds bizarre, but um, it never got off the ground. Thank God. I wonder why. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they had the. Uh, the initial Lord of the Rings uh, <laughs> rights, I guess. It's on my list to read, man, Lord of the Rings. So it's a hefty motherfucker of a book. My dad got on this. It's ridiculous. And then you've got the Silmarillion, which came after, and the Hobbit, which came before, which is way for Finn. Yeah. They turned that into three fucking films <laughs> yeah, no, somehow. Right. Um, I, I watched, I, I've, I've read The Hobbit. I haven't seen The Hobbit films, though. I'm not going to watch them either. The, um, the Hobbit films, like we were talking about CGI and how. You know, most of the Lord of the Rings film holds up today. Some of the CGI in The Hobbit was dodgy as fuck. That was ropey, and that was modern day. Like it was a smash them out, wasn't it? Oh, the Hobbit films. Like. Was, there was a bit where he was running across rooftops, and you could just see it was a green screen. You just like really, you know, how much money did you have for this? George, um, what's his name? Peter Jackson hated making The Hobbit. It wasn't him originally meant to make it. It was uh, Guillermo del Toro was meant to make it originally. It's a weird choice. Um, yeah, but he left the project um, just as they were about to start filming, I think. And Peter Jackson was a producer on it, I think, and he just picked it up and he hated it because it wasn't his vision. And he didn't have, like, building into Lord of the Rings, he had the set vision of what he wants, you know, what characters he's cutting out, what, you know, what bits he's focusing on. But he had none of that. He literally just had notes from another director to go off, which. <sighs> pick something up that big you know of a franchise as well and don't then like i think lord of the rings will survive the hobbit movie definitely yeah yeah without oh, a doubt. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. They are loosely related stories, though. They're in the same world with some of the same characters, yet they're not really direct sequels to each other, are they? Even though, like, it kind of, The Hobbit leads into Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but, it does lead into it, I guess. But, yeah, I, I get what you mean. It's all about Bilbo's adventure and Smog and that in it, rather than, like, you yeah. know, the One yeah. Ring and Sauron. And... You don't you don't need to see The Hobbit to see Lord of the Rings. No, you don't, no. <laughs> no. It's like a prequel, which is just a nice little prequel if they hadn't stretched it out. It could have been a good film. Yeah. Film. There's no need for it to be free films. Absolutely no need at all. It's a children's book. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's a very it's old children's book, so it's yeah. very adult language, but it's a children's book. Lord of the Rings is when it then you know, full blown world. Oh, One of the, the things that actually helped me understand more of Lord of like well Middle Earth law was um, playing Lord of the Rings online when I was younger. That was a massive game. My uh, my ex girlfriend loved that game. We was playing uh, it all the time. I never it it taught me a lot about, about Middle Earth and all the different characters. It's all, it's all second um, yeah. uh, outside of Minecraft that doesn't count. Lord of the Rings Online is the second biggest game world ever made. Is it really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I tried jumping into it a few months ago, and I was just like, "Everything has changed. I have no idea what I'm doing. Everything is different now." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did fuck it up though. At one point, they like completely trashed the um, the system of how you level up and everything. Like, you know, you used to go into different trees and all this stuff. It was all really cool. Then they just scrapped that and gave it just like this really linear, boring path. And I was like, well, all that effort like to make my character unique, and now I've just got a uh, this bog standard character. Quite shit, really. Yeah. Anyway, that's my ramble on uh, Lord of the Rings and why it's one of the best or the best trilogies ever. So, trilogy, yeah, pretty good. Does that leave the last entry then? The final one, the final, it's a quick one. It's um, I should have swapped places with you when we should have finished on Lord of the Rings, it's a bit more epic, and because mine kind of pertains to um, to what what Tom was on about with zombie films, it is um, Lucio Fulci's um, Zombie 2. Or um, more commonly known in this part of the world as uh, uh, zombie flesh eaters. Um, so yeah, basically it's, a, it's an Italian horror movie. Um, it was marketed as the sequel to Dawn of the Dead. It's nothing to do with Dawn of the Dead at all. It's just called Zombie Two. It's as a sequel voodoo based, no? Voodoo based. Um, so basically, it tells a story. Um, is a, a Caribbean island cursed by voodoo and the dead rise. Essentially, the plot is 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 wafer thin. Um, you know, this it starts with like this yacht which has sailed back up into the river, into you know that they crashed that plane on in New York, that river, Hudson River, is it maybe? Um, you know, and the you know, sea police go out to get the boat, and there's a fucking zombie on it, you know, and it chews their head off or whatever. But um, you know, and then the the, the this girl shows up, attractive young girl. And she's like, this is my dad's boat. So they want to find out where her dad went and why is his yacht sailed back to fucking New York on his own? Where was he last? And of course, he was last seen in the mysterious island of Matul. Um, with a dead, for some reason or other, come back to life. Um, so ragtag bunch of people go out to Matul. Uh, they meet this mad doctor out there who's like, you know, trying to... And then the dead come back to life. That's pretty much it. They try and find out why the dead come back to life. And it just it, the point. The reason I've brought this up is because I don't like zombie movies. I like Twenty Eight Days Later, but as a rule, don't like zombie movies. Like I like of the dead, the original of the dead trilogy. Then so like Night of the Living Dead, 
Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. The original the others, Day of the Dead's class. The others a bit. I haven't even seen the remake. And, um, the the later George Romero films, whilst entertaining, like I said, the Chainsaw Bus and all that shit, <laughs> it's a bit like proper, like just bad horror movie. Isn't it? But like, it, give, it gives them an excuse to make people explode and <laughs> get sewn up and chopped up, and it, it, it's basically what it is these days. Have you seen Night of the Living Dead? The the first one. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's that. just like it's the black and white one. It's it's totally hard to watch. different. It is hard. It's a long film. It's old, isn't it? Sixties movie, like yeah, yeah. But yeah, so this is you know again one of those really early uh, zombie movies, and it's the reason I brought it up is because I think it's the best zombie movie in the fact that the zombies are genuinely terrifying. Like you were saying about twenty eight days later, these are the shambling return to life corpses, zombies of like, yeah, you know, but they're just absolutely fucking hanging. They are so hanging, like they proper look because there's no CGI. It was early seventies, um, they're just all decomposing or like worms crawling around in their head and that. And it's fucking, it's banging <laughs> film. It's gory as you can probably imagine. Um, and yeah, I'm not saying this is like a pinnacle of cinema history. It is a cinema history, but there's one point where a zombie fights a shark, so it gets a bit mental. But like, Christ. it's it's the it's a good line between horror and like that B movie kind of exploitation trauma shit, which would come later on. But like, it's a it's just classic, man. Zombie. Is, two. It, is it that movie where like a zombie's got a girl's head and she's pushing her into like a yes. nail? pulling her against the like jagged wall of like Ugh. a wood and, and it just fucking pulls her out onto the nail with proper grim Straight yeah fucking eye look yeah <laughs> yes it's it's a good movie it's a it's not a long film and if you're gonna watch a zombie movie watch zombie flesh it is and that's it that's what i'm gonna say about it the plot is bollocks like it's a zombie <laughs> film you know but it's um again it, it if you love it it can open a wormhole into Italian horror movie, uh, horror horror movies rather. Um, there's like there's something about Italian horror that is a bit more just grim as fuck. Um, Fulci is a bit of a he's a bit hit and miss. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. Well, I seen a Fulci film recently and it was so bad. A cat in the brain. Oh man! Again, the plot sounds amazing, but it's just so shit. Um, so, a cat in the brain is his final film. He kind of did like Bowie did with Black Star. It's like he kind of knows like his time is up. So, he does a film called Cat in the Brain about himself, where Lucio Fulci, after decades of directing gore films, can't tell what's real and what's a film, and he starts or doesn't start committing these horrendous murders, but he doesn't know if it's plots of his films or if he's actually murdering people. Um, again, that line between reality and, you know, uh, dream blurs. Um, but yeah, execution is horrendous. It's, it's a terrible film. But um, yeah, Italian horror. Got me into Italian horror. I've gone way in off the deep end on like these, I think it's giallo or giallo films it's a phrase where it's like a, a Italian thriller slash horror and they're quite surreal I watched Suspiria the other night which is a proper fucking weird film but um, yeah I, I, won't, I won't go into that because we are really fucking fanging it along on the, on the, uh, the time year but um, yeah has anyone else seen Zombie Flesh Eaters? I think you nope. have Tom Possibly. years back yeah yeah watch this 
but uh, that's a bonus one just to chuck in there. So good on. I haven't. I have not seen it. Sounds uh, <laughs> sounds interesting though. It's gopping. It's fucking gopping. <laughs> Hanging. <laughs> and that will transition. Since we're on the subject, I'll transition straight into the afterthought, which we add. We'll go through this quick because again, time. But special mentions, honorable mentions. My honorable mention is quite similar to um, Zombie Flesh Eaters, but takes that entire premise and what an exploitation film is and pushes it probably a little bit too far it's called cannibal holocaust um and it's probably like the original serbian film where it, everything got taken a little bit too far obviously serbian film is now fucking trumped that but um a cannibal holocaust is a film about um uh cannibals essentially <laughs> and it's about this film crew that goes in to study the cannibals and they go missing so they send in another film crew to find out what happened to the original film crew and it's all filmed like like Blair Witch you know found footage so it's patched together from interviews and the footage they found in the cameras of the other people that were missing so it looks real as fuck obviously now it's about 40 45 years old it doesn't look so real but never have I felt like I needed a shower after watching a film <laughs> until I saw fucking Cannibal Holocaust uh, Gareth will um, know uh, of some friends of mine in a band called Catastrophic Blunt Force Intercranial Hemorrhage Fluid Leaking from Richard Eardrums they open their yeah. and close their sets with music from Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox those two films um, really weird haunting music and yeah, the film it looks like it looks real um, the director was arrested for um, killing his um, no joke he was arrested for killing his his um, his, his, his actors because they thought it was Italian authorities thought it was a snuff film because oh, wow. um, when the film was premiered in, in, the, in the cinema they, um, they made all the actors go into hiding for six months so they thought they're all just unknown like you know B-movie actors so just like don't appear anywhere the premiere had none of the actors in it they're all missing or dead and um, yeah people thought it was fucking you know this is early 70s whatever people thought it was real people lost their minds over it there's a lot again something i don't really agree with a lot of um animal cruelty in the film which is real a lot of that stuff is is real they did go a bit too far with that killing like fucking pigs and turtles and shit but again it's kind of showing how people in the middle of a fucking jungle live you know what i mean am i am i still here i feel like frozen. yeah you're frozen is my voice still here though yeah. Yeah, yeah. What a phrase for me, what a fucking position for me to freeze on. <laughs> yeah, um my honorable mention was uh <laughs> my honorable mention was uh Cannibal Holocaust. Minging. Absolutely minging film. Anyone else got any honorable mentions before we uh, uh, I think I'll keep mine just in case we do another episode of this. Alright, that's a fair enough uh, uh, fair enough assumption. An assumption decision. Yeah, I'll I'll do the same as Tom because I think I can talk more about it. I think in a about uh, okay. another episode, like so, give you a bit more time with it. It's good though. Can't leave me as the only one who's uh, doing an honourable mention. Uh, surely not. I've already spoke about Uncle Buck and other John Candy films and whatnot. I can't. Uh, I'm doing them all there. Well, I'll, well, I'll give my I'll give my honourable mention, but I'll I'll bring it up again and go into it in more detail. My honourable mention um, is The Life of Brian, Monty Python, um, as one of the great uh, British comedies. Like I said, I consider Hot Fuzz to be the best one. And I think 
the Monty Python films are very, very, very close. Um, although they're all sillier, but it's clever, silly. It's is that is that. But like I know, um, like when you watch Flying Circus and all that, they are ridiculously over the top in a lot of cases. But um, I think the life of Brian, like, is so out there, and it's like I remember my, my mother telling me that when she was in um, university, the the nuns of the church that she would go to told told her not to go and see the life of Brian in the cinema because you can't imagine why it's blasphemous and all this <laughs> stuff. I, for that reason a lot, I'm just like, that's, that's fantastic. That's, that's so good. Like, you know, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go into more depth in depth in that in another episode. If we do something like this again, because I think that film is, uh, there's a lot of talking points in that film that I think. Yeah. Are, yeah. And the rest of Monty Python. as yeah. well. I like that. Um, the Holy Grail is another big one that I love. That was the first Monty Python thing. Well, like the any Monty Python thing I saw was the Holy Grail. And that film, again, is bonkers. But <laughs> it's so good. It's just so good, you know. It's just so funny. But yeah. That's how you do a sketch show, isn't it, Monty Python? It is. It is, yeah. <laughs> is Sean back for anyone? No, I'm gone. My laptop, my, sorry, my um, camera light is off. So I'm guessing I'm done. <laughs> for this. What about you guys? Any honourable mentions? I'm good back. Oh, you, I've already asked you, haven't I? I'm terribly sorry. Fucking hell, I'm going on his back. Was mine. Uncle back. Uncle back. Backaroo. Back, back, backaroo. So, on that, then, I will. I'll well, say, Sean, because you, you did initially have a game, a stupid game. Yeah. We'll Because um, we are running out of time. <laughs> We've <laughs> ran out of time. Um, we'll carry that on into the next episode if you want and chuck it on. You can do. It's entirely yeah. up to you. It's not a long game, but we have gone on for fucking ages. Yeah, we have. <laughs> so let's uh, yeah wrap him up, I suppose. By far yeah. the longest episode of Steedcast did it. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Christ. <laughs> so yeah, we'll... Um, well, you want to sign us off, Matt? I can't sign you off. I ain't got a face. If we all, if we all, if we all be perfectly still... You want to look weird? <laughs> All right. I think it's some one of us has got to talk. Some uh, someone's got to sign. I can talk because I haven't got a moving oh, mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go on now. All right. Go on now. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is the abrupt end to the uh, Sneakcast movie special. We hope you've enjoyed listening to our shit talk, and we'll catch you in the next episode, whenever that will be. Adios and farewell. Auf Wiedersehen. Ta-da. <laughs> <laughs>